G'day people, it's Chili here from Live Listener Raced, and we are here with the final part of the Santana album reviews. Of course, I have my guest Wazza on, of course. Hello, how are you? Yeah, <laughs> sorry, our producers just realised we were live recording and decided to... Decided to vacate the room. Yeah, vacate. I better get out of here. That's it. Inside this folder contains my final notes for the Santana albums, of course. Last episode, I believe, the last album we did was Inner Secrets. Uh, which we covered most of uh, Santana's 80s material. That was on part two, and part one, of course, covered most of his modern material up to uh, Supernatural. So if you haven't checked those two parts out, make sure to check them out before going into this one, or whichever way you want to watch it, it's fine up to you. <laughs> Either way, we have a lot of Santana stuff on this uh, channel, actually. So we also have a retro review on Supernatural's album and a five-minute review on his latest one, Miracles and... Uh, oh, God, I've had a mental blank. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it was that good. <laughs> 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 so we're... <laughs> Blessings and Miracles, that's the name yeah, of it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't a bad album. Hmm. But we are going to be tackling all of Santana's uh, early stuff, starting from Moonflower and working all the way to the first album. Now, this is uh, quite the golden period, I guess, of Santana's career was. And I've asked you just before this episode started recording that there was one of these albums I said you could list at a higher tier than any of the other ones, which is going to be Lava Tear. Obviously, when we get to the album, we will declare that rating, but it's just going to differentiate it, I guess, saying that this is our favourite Santana album out of all the ones that he's done. So, was are you ready for the final part of this series? I certainly am looking forward to it. I've you know, These these albums are all albums that I've either owned or bought for people that I've been close to so mm. I could listen to a lot. <laughs> probably have to say if i don't get number one spot in santana's list of um, spotify players then i think i'll be gypped <laughs> i got it last year because of the review i did <laughs> top five percent listeners <laughs> so let's start off moonflower of course the 1977 album release uh pretty interesting album cover i guess um looks like it's up high on a mountain or something like that or anyway nice take it from airplane yeah possibly Anyway, it's a very nice album cover, of course. But this is a very good album, this one. Uh, I'll Be Waiting is like an early soft rock, yacht rock version, I guess. Almost disco-ish in, uh, in sound. But it's one of the better tracks, I guess, on this uh, album. And it's, what, it's a live album and it's a studio album all in one, almost. It's a mix of uh, songs, if you will. What, what were you thinking about this album? Oh, I love this album. Yeah, this was... Uh, you're right. I mean, it's a, well, I think it's a great album. It's part original, part composition, so it's got other you know, tracks, mm. and it's got some um, great live tracks, and I think some of Santana's best live stuff is listed on this. And I can't remember... I should have looked it up, but I can't remember with, with the Lotus... The, the triple live album, when it came out on vinyl, was pre or after this... Um, but I think the live material on this is really very good. And the, the album flows well. It was a double vinyl album when it came out. Mm. Um, and um, and it's got some great, as I said, some great tracks. Uh, and some a great single was the She's Not There, the Zombies song. Rod Argent wrote it. Oh, um, okay, yes. Yeah. And um, they did a really good a really good version of, she, of She's Not There. Yeah, yeah, there is, there, I mean, Lotus came from um, an earlier version, that was 19, 
74, I'm pretty sure. Later, I think it was a live album. It was a live album from Japan. Yeah, it wasn't released for much, Mm. much longer. Mm. Obviously, if you were a Santana fan that wasn't in Japan, this was one of the earliest live records you could get your hands on anyway. Mm. Um, But yeah, look, there's some very, like you were saying, there's some original compositions. There's some uh, also a few covers, a few live recordings from obviously his previous releases. Um, I found Zulu to be an interesting track as well, I've written here. Um, yeah, I also had the note of the cover of the zombie. She's not here, which is really good and probably better than the original. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Zulu, it, another disco-y <coughs> type of sound. And obviously, when we're coming up to this era of Santana, you know, he did move into the disco version a few years later on uh, with some of his other albums like Z-Bop and all that stuff. So, yeah, this is kind of like where it was kind of getting a start. Yeah, it was kind of like he was doing a studio album, didn't, didn't really have enough for a full album. <laughs> so they decided to add a couple of fairly lengthy live tracks, but they were brilliant. They were great live tracks. And um, and a couple, yeah, and the studio material as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just a, a really, really good, um, con- you know, like compilation album. It definitely was. And for those who <clears throat> may not have been, or may not have known Santana's work, I think this album was an excellent introduction we hadn't oh, yeah. caught up with their first few albums because it's got, as I said, some of the best tracks. I mean, the Soul Sacrifice on it, you know, um, live, yes. which I think came from some Paris festival or something. Uh, I can't remember, but uh, it, was, it did say on the album where that came from a live, the live presentation of a big concert that they did. Okay. And um, yeah, so the whole the whole album is just good. And again, I mean, one of the things I've probably said before, and I'll say it again, is that the the placement of Santana, the, the the way they list them, they do just seem to... They've paid a lot of attention, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be just totally random, but I doubt it. <laughs> they've paid a lot of attention to the order of tracks yeah. so that they do kind of, you know, blend. The, the live blends in with the studio, back to the live, back to the studio, you know. It's seamless in the way you can't really tell sometimes until you hear some audience cheering. You yeah. Know, and you kind of forget that, oh, yeah, that's right, there is some live tracks to be heard on this album. Mm. Um, I did like the version of Soul Sacrifice, uh, which is like some 14-minute long jam track. Mm. Uh, very cool drum solo as yeah. well on that one there. Um, just classic Santana style. Here we go with a with one of our older songs, and we're just going to jam to this thing for an extended period of time. Classic Santana move right there, you know? Yeah, and Soul Sacrifice, of course, was featured, I think, at the end of their set on Woodstock. Yes, it was. Yeah. I believe that was the last track. Mm. Um, so yeah, look, incredible track. I love that track as well. Um, so to hear this version of it just exemplifies it, if you will, you know, um, Costa, I've got a note here saying Costa helped out on the Lange mid piece, uh, Flor de Luna. Um, the, he's a long time Santana collaborator and works on keyboards on a few of his albums. So that was, uh, one of the songs that was from a, the studio side of things, not necessarily the live version, I believe. Uh, yeah, Floor de Luna there. Um, I don't know if that's French or not. I want to say it is. I didn't actually translate that. <laughs> but, yeah, obviously he uses a fair few... Flower of the Moon. Yeah, yeah, that, that would probably be right. Yeah, yeah it was Moonflower, Luna. yeah. Moon, Moonflower, of mm. course. It's written mm. in brackets. <laughs> God, I haven't even looked at my notes too well, have I? <laughs> so Luna, de Luna, de Luna, the Moon. The Moon, Floor, and Flower. Floor, yeah. Flower, Flower of the Moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, melding of styles as well at the same time. Um, you got jazz with like El Morocco 
uh, disco with Zulu and soft rock, I guess, with transcendence uh, to a degree. But it strays a lot from its Latin roots, which is more of the earlier sound from Santana. Not entirely is it alienated from this, though, obviously with Soul Sacrifice and their extended jam piece on it. Um, but it's good to try new things, and I reckon it paid off well. Yeah, we're picking up something like the Zombies. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they're an English group, if I'm not mistaken, Rod Argent. And, um, <laughs> yes. And uh, they had a you know, few good hit hits, and then they dis- disbanded, and Rod Argent started a new band called Argent. <laughs> Our original. Which had one big hit, Hold Your Head Up. Hold Your Head Up. <laughs> Can't say I've heard of that. Oh, yeah, you'd, you'd probably know it. It's been redone a few times, but... Um, yeah, but uh, she's not there. The time of the season was the other big hits that the, that, uh, that the zombies had, and I have heard uh, that redone by yeah, a couple of artists. Seasons, yeah. But it's never. I, I'm surprised it hadn't been picked up and done um, more. You know. Um, anyway, it's one of those songs, I guess. You just don't know how it's going to hmm. pan out in the music <laughs> scene. Uh, this is probably the most famous. This is the most famous sound uh, Santana live album. Probably because Lotus didn't get released in the USA until 1991. Uh, it's pretty much quintessential live Santana listening, I would say. What do you, what do you think in regards? I mean, you would have purchased this album, I'm guessing, back in the day. Yep. Played it to death on vinyl. Yep. yep. And does it still? Is it in playable quality now? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the vinyl still plays, but I did listen to it in prepar- in preparation for this um, on you know through a, a streaming. So, of course, it's just one continuous album. You're not getting up and changing sides. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is that, two LPs? So yeah, you so flip. you know, yeah, well, flip, flip, flip. Um, well, you could have bought those horrible turntables that used to drop them, which I never, I did have, my parents had one of those, but I never used it to drop the records because yeah. it used to never come down equally. It just used to scratch, you know. Oh, gosh. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it, it, to me, it's a, it's a great album. I mean, I, I would put this, I'd classify this as, um, you know, the top <laughs> one of the top ones eh? yeah. yeah yeah definitely it's a pure spice to me 100 mm. percent. i don't think there's any argument there i i've listed it the same thing pure spice mm. the rating of that album it's well like i said it's quintessential santana listening if you haven't heard santana this should be one of your first albums to listen to i would say yep. to give an idea on the band so. And listening to it again, it just you know brought back everything because I did also, as I did with many records in those days, recorded them onto cassettes like a play in the car, <laughs> and you get a forty-five minute side cassette, ninety minutes the total side, so mm. side A and B, and then C and D, yeah. and in the car, well most of the cars that I had, it used to auto rewind, so you'd you'd get, uh. not auto rewind, auto play the other side, ah, oh. so you'd get that whole four <laughs> get tracks without having to get up and change anything. <laughs> Perfect timing with that one there. <laughs> yeah, now that's a perfect little um, album there. So yeah, if you definitely haven't heard Moonflower, I highly recommend the album. Uh, so yeah, plenty of songs to go through the listing, of course. Um, studio and live versions, jams, just showcases a fantastic band of Santana at that stage. Because um, he'd been a bit of a revolving door kind of at that point, but I don't. I, you can't really say that Santana's ever had dud. Uh, musicians. Oh no, he's always strived for the best musicians, and mm. um, and also, I mean, they've obviously very much worked at his direction. So you listen to various live material, and um, you know, it's sometimes hard to tell 
the bands, you know, part they've, you know. Very true. I mean, you can't replace Santana, but you can kind of replace, well, you have, the entire band. Mm. Yeah, yes. <laughs> That's for several times, I think. <laughs> several times. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, definitely pure Spice album. It's a good thing he named it after himself and not many <laughs> other members of the band. Yeah, he didn't call it Santana, Santana Rolly Shreve. <laughs> yeah, it'd, it be was, a tw- it'd be a twenty. It'd be like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, but uh, after <laughs> after forty years, it's just Crosby. It's like the ugliest divorce in the world of musical history, you know. You'd have the Santana slash this slash that slash that slash Neil. Schoen you could fill a small hall just with ex Santana members, I think. <laughs> I think there's something like. 50 members yeah i don't know i've, I've, I've flashed up the timeline before and it's like ridiculously large when it comes to santana <laughs> it's just makes bands many. like jethro toll and deep purple look stable <laughs> yeah the deep purple only up to mark 10 and santana's like hold my beer <laughs> yeah so definitely um you know by that stage they had gone through a fair few musicians but still Nothing can be say, said wrong about those musicians. Yep. Very good musicians, as always. Uh, yeah, so definitely a pure spice ranking when it comes to Moonflower. I think it's ambiguous on that one. Sorry, not ambiguous. Unanimous. That was the word I was thinking of. <laughs> Yeah, ambiguous we're, ranking. We're ambiguously unanimous. <laughs> yeah, ambiguously unanimous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to title this YouTube recording. You, ambiguously unanimous Santana rankings. <laughs> just to confuse everyone that walks through this door. Use big words. It sounds better. <laughs> so we move on to the next album, uh, which is also 1977, Festival. Um as far as the 70s albums, this is like one of those ones that really gets swept under the rug. It is very overshadowed. And to a degree, rightfully so, when you put Moonflower right next to it. Released in the same album, uh, sorry, year as that. But I think it suffers a fair bit because of a few other issues. I mean, the album is buried because of Moonflower and the you know predominant um, recordings, of course, with that. But the first three songs on it on on this album were used on Moonflower, mm. and they're arguably the three strongest tracks from this album. Uh, what did you think about Festival? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I thought the you know the again the cover works great. Festival, the wording, you mm. know, um, it seems like a Santana kind of thing. You can see them playing at a some kind of South American or you know uh, um, festival. Yeah, certainly the highlight track, let the children play. Yes, uh, and you know the carnival itself. Um, it uh, yeah, and and that, those three tracks, which did appear in live versions, I think on on Moonflower, um, mm. were certainly mm. the best. Let the music set you free. Yes, um, I yes. I quite liked. Um, yeah, it's not a bad song. Yeah, so it, it's a it's an album. It's a it's a nice. It's a really good album. It's a nice album. Mm, okay. Yeah. It's um. What did I write there? <laughs> Give me loves is generic. The song itself, I found. Um, I mean, like, pretty much it trails off for me after the third song. I, I look, let the music set you free is a good track, but yeah, you, side one's great. Side two, side one's good. <laughs> yeah, side two is just so meh. You know, <laughs> give me love. I just found it to be too generic when it came to the lyrics, the song itself. Um, let's see, Vareo is that the name of it? Rayo Vermello is a foray into a flamenco style. Sounds like something out of a spaghetti western to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
Uh, yeah, Let the Music Set You Free does sound like it's uh, from a festival, even with the repetitive lyrics, of course. But still, it, it does its job. It, it's a good track, that one, you know. Uh, but yeah, look, when you get to the second half of that album, it, it, drops, it drops off, off. the earth entirely. Yeah. Yep. You know? it, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I mean, when this thing came out, was it an overshadowed album? Was it just... Yeah, really I, I don't think it was a, a big, you know, like a big album for them. I, I'm not sure about the sales. I mean, it, I think every Santana album was being released then sold reasonably well, you know. People were just buying it because it, it was Santana. It had a similar look and feel the cover the name the the stylized writing of the name santana um you know they and the music on it the guitar playing the style was very much of what you would expect yes with the santana album it just wasn't as strong as perhaps you know it's probably one of the weaker ones of their 70s output yeah definitely definitely i mean what did I write? Revolutions is a second intro for Side B. Yeah, that's what I felt like. They had the intro song Carnival, which is this fantastic opener piece. But then you get to Revelations, it's like another intro piece. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, well, we've had an intro piece already. We don't need a second one, I guess. But don't forget, this was made for vinyl. So they knew it was going to appear on a side two. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And people such as myself used to sometimes just play one side of an album just to listen to it. <laughs> Strong I didn't always play A. side one and two straight no. after each other. I'd often play uh, four side ones from different artists. Yeah. <laughs> had a flatmate who used to he used to say to me, "Don't you ever play the both sides of any one album?" I said, "No, nah, not usually the one time." <laughs> so CDs force you to do that. Yeah, of course you can't get away around it. <laughs> Spotify too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Reach Up tries Funk and Soul, which is a bit interesting, I guess. It sounds like a James Brown song without James's big vocals. So, I mean, if Santana and James Brown ever did a collab back in the day, that would have been quite an <laughs> interesting mix match, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if they ever did. <laughs> no, I don't think they would have, but, I mean... He did pair it up with a lot of people, and particularly later, as you know. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that would be... A, if they did a song together, that would probably <laughs> have been a, a very interesting mix. Yeah. Anyway, but it looks like they tried to reach out, you know, or reach up, tries that James Brown sound that just falls very flat. <laughs> to me, yeah, look, this album, it, yeah, you know, like we were saying, Side B, just not memorable, you know. Um, the best song there was the last track, uh, Maria Sarotingo, and that sounds still very generic, you know lacks any uh, real Santana flair mm, that album mm. on that part and on the whole it's rather forgettable <laughs> you know best tracks are the best tracks on this album can be heard on Moonflower so really why am I bothering with Festival yeah that's right so I I feel like this one yeah it unfortunately got swept under the rug because of all these reasons you know why listen to this one when Moonflower is available and is a much more superior album and to me, it got a tight chilly. I just really found myself just shaking my head, going, yeah, not my thing. What about you? Oh, look, I, I gave it a ghost pepper because it did have some, I thought, some good tracks on it. And um, I suppose also that this era of Santana, I, I just um, knew the albums and had heard them a lot, you know, and uh, it's like a lot of material. I mean, you... you you, some of the some of the best albums I've always found are ones that you listen to first of all. Nothing really hits you between the eyes. You just think, oh, okay, that's 
that's good, but you know, and then you pers- then you uh, persist and play it a few times, and then the next minute something something goes. clicks. <laughs> mm. As yeah. opposed to some of those albums, like I don't know, Deep Purple's Machine Head, would just smacks you right between the eyes <laughs> with Smoke on the War in particular, <laughs> um, uh, or Deep Purple in Rock as well. That was yeah. another one that just kind of reached up out of the turntable and grabbed you by the neck. Well, how could it not? With that starting piece, I mean, uh, guitar. <laughs> And I, I found that some of those albums, which you take an instant, you know, the shine to, you think, that's brilliant, I'll play it again, you know. Um, you probably get sick of those after a, a while, but some of the albums that just slowly, mm. you know. Yeah, look, the, Slowly dig a franchise in your mind. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't think this one's going to dig any franchises in my mind. No, I didn't go back to this much. I mean, it was played at the time, but it was also usurped by the, re- by the release of Moonflower so soon after. Yes, I think that so, lacked a bit there. Maybe, look, I'm pretty sure everything Santana did in the 70s got at least gold. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Festival's any different. It probably was a very delayed gold, hmm. you know. Hmm. Um, and I feel maybe that's probably why they turned around and did Moonflower. They probably had some, you know, extra recordings at the time, I feel. And that made its way to. I was just say, look, we can do better. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we we've tried it. We did it. We're gonna do better on the next album. <laughs> oh, but no, Thai chili for me. We go on to the next release with 1976's album Amigos, and. The the album cover, <laughs> I, it's an interesting album cover. I, I don't mind it. You know, it's um very fluorescent. <laughs> I guess would be the word neon. Bit ahead of its time, I guess the eighties would you know draw influence in designs like this definitely. But uh, at the time, I'm guessing this must have been a butt ugly <laughs> album cover. Well, it's very distinctive. Yeah, that's true, I guess. Again, with the Santana name quite, um, you know, stylized and mm. written out. But, mm. um, yeah. I, I think it showed an, a very evolved Santana sound from previous, more pop-orientated. Um, somewhere between Festival and their previous release, which is coming up, of course, next. But it did a lot of things right, I feel, compared especially to Festival. Uh, the opening track, for example, Dance, Sister, Dance, um, it's a fantastic track. Mm. Very Latin rock, and it builds up, you know, it it starts off with the, you know, Dance, Sister, Dance, before eventually it just sweeps into this very incredible guitar solo by Carlos, and it builds up in power and passion and speed and everything else uh, to the crescendo where it's just getting frantic, and it's a very, it's probably one of his best tracks, to be honest. You know, dances the dance anyway. In my mind. Uh, what did you think in regards to the Amigos album? Uh, look, I, I like this album. Um, it, it was a short album, really. Um, you know, when you look at the first side, it's only, only about eighteen minutes. Mm, the second yeah. side's not much longer, twenty-one, twenty-two minutes. And of course, these days, when you put a CD in, it tells you how long the album is. You think, hang on, this is only thirty-eight minutes. Geez, you know, I, I know you can fit seventy yeah. <laughs> plus minutes onto a CD, which I think has pressured some groups to make albums too long. <laughs> <laughs> and put yeah. a lot of filler in, but uh, I, I don't agree with putting albums out longer than are necessary. Yeah. Longer isn't better. I hope you're listening, Iron Maiden. <laughs> all right, like fuck. I mean, um, 
I think most vinyl, you know, I think probably the maximum was something like 25, 26 minutes aside. I'm not sure. Someone could correct me on that. Yeah. But I think this album, it introduced Europa, the track Europa. Mm. And for that alone, um, I rank it highly because that's a beautiful track. It's an instrumental um, written yeah. by Carlos Santana and his friend Tom Costa. Mm, mm. And I see Tom Costa, of course, had a lot of writing on this album. Yes. Um, and, you know, and the Dance Sister Dance track as well. That first track, when you put that album on at a party, yeah. would just get people up. Oh, 100%. 100%. And you can see why. Like, yep. it's, a great, it's a great album to play at a party. And it's almost like... If the party was, I guess, like you were saying with the LPs being played one side at a time, you know, you'd play this side yeah. A at the beginning and <laughs> yeah, side towards B the end of the night, you put on Europa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Europa is one of just sound. after Dark Side of the Moon, <laughs> or just before Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> I mean, Europa, Europa is one of Santana's finest solos ever yeah. recorded, uh, definitely without a doubt. You know, he's um, very distinctive guitar work. The whale. Mm. Kind of, I call it that he gets out of that yeah. guitar and I've read an interview with him many years ago where he talked about that and the, the style it's a bit like I, I compare it to Eric Clapton's what he called his woman tone okay. which he achieved on Disraeli Gears and some of the cream material where you know you just slide the string does the wah-wah or whatever it is and has this particularly distinctive yeah. sound which was often imitated but never completely um, yeah captured so i think uh, for carlos santana that that whale on europa was a very distinctive um sound of his yeah he, he, i think he tried just something a little bit more different compared to his previous solos mm. where he would just kind of rely a bit on effects pedals maybe to a degree more tone i'm guessing but you know he definitely uses a lot of wah and stuff like mm. that but it's very faint uh, I feel like in Europa, though, he's more playing with the volume sounding um, because obviously the, so the uh, strings are fading out and, you know, it's, uh, it's a style... Oh, it's a style Jeff Beck does a lot. Mm, yeah, yeah, there's a know? bit of Jeff Beck in that, yeah. Yeah he, yeah, he always plays his guitar and plays out the strings how they kind of fade out and it feels mm. very natural. Uh, yeah, well, see, Jeff Beck is another one who's got a very distinctive... As, you know, Jimmy Page, I mean... Mm. Page, Beck and Clapton all basically came from the same school. Same school of rock, yeah. <laughs> Yardbirds, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Take Me is a decent song as well. It's a very mellow track. I guess it's, you know, if you're playing it at the party, you'd probably find it to be an interesting follow-up piece. But um, it's still a pretty good track, I feel. Uh, Let Me feels like an old Santana meets early disco again. Uh, passable track, I felt. Mm. But obviously, look, as a whole, this album is... When I first saw Let Me on the track listing, there had been a single out probably, uh, what's this, 76, probably late 60s, by I think Paul Revere and the Raiders called Let Me. And it was a real kind of almost, not bubblegum rock, but it's kind of just a, you know, oh, right. top 40 chart yeah, yeah. song. And I thought, surely they wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and it's not, of course. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> that just would have been... Because that other song was something like, Let Me, Let Me, Baby, Don't Forget Me. You know, oh, like... <laughs> Instrumental version, please, only. <laughs> God, generic lyrics for the win. <laughs> I, feel, I thought uh, Gitano brings in that Latin vibe to this mm. album, uh, which is a fantastic addition. I do love the Latin rock vibes when, it comes, when Santana do it. They do it so well. Uh, so that was a fantastic addition, of course, to the set list of this one. And Tell Me You Are Tired, yes, it feels like a record label song that was pushed on them. 
you know, that yeah. song just felt a bit like, yeah, you got to do something a bit more pop-orientated, <laughs> you know. Uh, as well as that, Let It Shine, which sounds like a theme song hmm. for a Shaft or some <laughs> 70s cop show. Yeah. But, I mean, it, yeah, look, it's... It was a good it, finish track. Yeah, it was all right, I guess. I didn't rate that song. It, it was a bit hard to rate this album to a degree because there were some really good songs. And then it's mixed in with some songs that are very meh or passable. So, like, you know, like, Let It Shine was all right, I guess. Um, Tell Me You Are Tired, whatever, that's f- sure. But, yeah, when you've got Europa and Dance Sister Dance mm. in the mix... It's going to be up there. Yeah, there was some inconsistencies with this album, but um, I think Europa alone, to me, uh, I would rank it as a Carolina Reaper because ah. of that track. That's very interesting. I gave it a Ghost Pepper, but only because of Dance Sister Dance and Europa. Hmm. Otherwise, it would have been a Jalapeno. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, I have to point out, though, I made a note here. Uh, the cover looks like a neon-infused acid trip. Yeah, <laughs> which it probably was from the person who designed it. And I think Santana himself at that stage was still imbibing in a few hallucinogenic um, substances. I think he did straighten out later or and then insisted that his band also be straight, which amongst if musicians... If I have fun, then you're not Particularly California it. musicians must have been damn hard to find someone in San Francisco who was... We're putting an ad out. We need sober musicians in San Francisco <laughs> in the six, in the seventies. <laughs> yeah, no drugs, no 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 booze. God, you would have had more chance going up to the bloody um, the Colts in the area. <laughs> Even then. <laughs> Alright, so we move along now to um, the 1974 album, Borboletta. I just had to check that because I thought yeah. it was something. <laughs> Feels like that a bit, to a degree. Uh, this, <laughs> what an album cover, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. If that last album cover would look like an acid trip, this one just looks like you're beginning to. I don't know. There's a butterfly and then there's something going on in the background. Uh, but interesting enough. David Brown returns on bass, who was the original bass player at the Woodstock era lineup. So the bass lines feel very full, I guess, when it comes to it. He has a great sound and style that I thought he brings. He brought to Santana. So that's an interesting little note I just wanted to add there. Uh, but on the whole, to me, I'll just put this out there. The album feels like Caravan Sarai Part 2. <laughs> That's what I said. Yeah, I've got that. This album is more in line with Caravan Sarai. <laughs> Do you Even down to the colour. Yeah, exactly. The cover is exactly the same colours yeah. and stuff yeah. uh, to Caravan Sarai. And I'm sure we'll get into it a bit later, but, you know, sound as well. What did you what, what did you think of when this album? Do, do you remember it coming out? Yeah, I do, I do. Um, it was very atmospheric, a kind of a brooding album, and I did think it was Caravan Sarai Part Two. And even you know from the cover, I thought there must be some uh, connection. But I found it to be a bit more jazzy. Uh, and even the title track, "Bob Letter," is written by uh, Ato Moreta. I'm sorry, um, Marrero. Yep. And um, 
if I'm right, he was a percussionist who worked, I think, with Miles Davis, uh, amongst others. So he was had quite a jazz pedigree. He's been out oh, here nice. to Australia only the last couple of years. Okay. Doing a live performance in Parramatta, I think, <laughs> with yeah, a few yeah. other people. I forget who he, who he was with. And I was I didn't get a chance to go and see him, but I would have gone to see him just for the fact that he's the man who worked with yeah, Miles Miles and worked with Santana, you know, (laughs) and uh, you know had uh, a lot of good material. But um, I'm I'm pretty sure I've got that correct. People could correct me if I'm not right there. And he's still, as far as I know, still alive, still still working. But um, but the fact that it was a lot of instrumentals, I Mm. liked. Uh, I was saying to get into more instrumentals. Um, The um, I liked the promises, the promise of a fisherman. That track I really liked. I really enjoyed that. And um, and even uh, give and take, I didn't. I thought it was um, a highlight track. I think I only highlighted one song from this album. <laughs> uh, for me, I mean, like like you were saying, it continues in the jazz style of Caravan Sarai, the jazz fusion uh, instrumentals. Not a lot of singing on this album, hmm. and <clears throat> to me, if it doesn't have lyrics, it kind of doesn't stick out as much. Like I, I don't mind instrumentals. Hmm. I don't. Um, if the instrumentals are right. They're very memorable for for different reasons, um, but most of this album doesn't contain. It, it, most of this album is instrumentals, like Caravan Arise, but unfortunately, a lot of them aren't that good and are pretty forgettable to me. I did write that uh, Canto de la Flores was a pretty good piece, um, but that's about it for me. Mm. <laughs> now, I like Promise of a, a Fisherman. They stretch it out. It's eight. It's an, a track over that runs over eight eight minutes. So it's. Um, mm. You know, it's a good track. And, yeah, okay. um, Yeah, no, I found this to be quite a good laid-back <laughs> album. Yeah, it's not a bad laid... Yeah, look, as far as laid-back albums, yeah, it's not bad. It's pretty good in that regards. Um, even when the lyrical parts are there, Carlos wrote most of the lyrics, and um, <laughs> he's not a very strong lyricist, <laughs> let me put it that way. I think he even... I could be wrong. I think he sung on one of the um, tracks on this as well. Yeah, okay. uh, might be on another album, but anyway, he yeah. He, look, Carlos is not a strong lyricist. I'd prefer to leave that to you know the lyricist, uh, the lead singer, I should say. Um, I mean, most of it's fine. The album on a whole, it's all right. It's still a good album, I guess, despite less memorable songs. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I gave it a Ghost Pepper. I mm. thought um, you know it had some good material on it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in preparation for this, uh, in prep, sorry, in preparation for this review, I would have played this album seven or eight times, even once more on the car ride back home here, mm-hmm. and still nothing is stuck in my mind to this. I did give it a ghost pepper though. Mm-hmm. I thought it was quite a fine effort from the band. Um, it might have been a Carolina Reaper if you're in the right mood. Um, Nah, not really. This one's just Ghost Pepper, I think. It's old school in style, but severely overlooked. And it's probably for the better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's better releases out there when it comes to um, instrumental pieces and atmospheric rock when it comes to Santana in particular. Of course, we come up to those ones a little bit later on. But yeah, Borbaletta, meh, it's fine. <laughs> you know, probably not going to run back and listen to it. I will hear it out one time a bit later on but not in any rush to go back to it let me put it that way so yeah definitely a ghost pepper
Halloween album that we have up, also from 1974, is Illuminations, which is Carlos Santana uh, solo album with or introducing Alice Coltrane. Now, well, not introducing her. I think sorry, she, was she was John very, Coltrane's very widow, very and yeah, she was a. Jazz. I've got a lot of notes to go hmm. through before we <laughs> jump into. Sorry, Carlos and. Um, Alice Coltrane worked together on mm. this album is what I meant to say. So kind of the first solo album um, and recorded with jazz musician, as I meant, as we've just said, Alice Coltrane. So a quick rundown in regards to this. Um, Alice Coltrane was married to jazz musician John Coltrane from 1965 until his death in 1967. Um, they had three children. One of them is Ravi Coltrane, who worked with Cindy Blackman on her 1997 album In The Now. Did you know that one? No. no. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting little, you know, uh, six degrees Connection. of separation there. Obviously, Cindy, for those who weren't, who weren't sure, Cindy Blackman is married to Santana Sent- at the moment mm. uh, and is the current drummer for Santana. So that's that's why I've just made that note there. Uh, she is, uh, sorry, Alice Coltrane is one of the few jazz harpists which can be heard a lot on this album. And this, uh, I think... This album was the last album that I was yet to hear from San... No, it wasn't this one, sorry. But um, upon the first track, chanting, etc. and stuff like that was going on. And I thought, what the fuck is this? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, am I getting trolled here? Is this just going to be like the whole album, just a chanting mantra and odd little, you know... <laughs> What's going on here? Of course, that song only lasts for about a minute uh, before we jump into Angel of Air and Angel of Water. And damn, this is such an impressive album from here on out. Forget the first track. What did you think in regards to this album? Look, it's not really a commercial type of album. <laughs> a commercial a release that was not at all more um, I got, I got um, like very obviously influenced by his guru Chinmoy. Mm. Um, and, you know, he was close to him for a couple of years. I think they may have had a falling out later on, uh, as often happens in that kind of situation. Yep. Um, it's not an unpleasant album. I don't mind it. Um, Angel of Air, Angel of Water. Uh, I'm sure that appears on other, al- or at least another album. Um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, it might be the Live in Mexico set, which yeah. I think might open with some of that Angel of Air Material and I only really realized that when I listened to this album again because okay. I've had the live in Mexico album for years. And um, was it the I one th- that's like 88 or something like uh, that? Yeah, it's probably about 88 or yeah. Around um, that time. And um, I'm, I'm fairly sure that it, it opens with a, a studio, what I think is a studio track overlaid, and I'm sure it was played at the concert, was just overlays the album as an oh, introduction. Okay. Uh, and I'm thinking particularly of the um, video or DVD of that concert, which is what I've got, not not the album itself. Um, so it could just be the music they decided to play during the credits, <laughs> the opening credits. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, uh, it's a it's, again, it's a very short album, uh, 15 mm. minutes aside, basically. Um, mm. You you know, if you bought that home in vinyl, you'd feel a bit cheated. <laughs> um, I think it went under the radar, but it's oh, nice yeah. to listen to. You could uh, you could practice yoga with this, <laughs> or it's the kind of music you'd probably expect to be playing in the background in an Indian restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, I guess. It is a very interesting album. Um, like you said, I, it definitely flew under the radar. It's 
largely forgotten, I guess, even amongst the Santana fan base. Hmm. Uh, hmm. I, don't, I don't see why, though. I think it's quite a good album. Uh, but it it is criminally underrated amongst some of his albums, I feel. Uh, this... I, I can see why I can see why he doesn't he did this album as a solo album. It, you know, even as far as Santana standards around those out those years, this is quite different compared to his previous albums. <laughs> Lucky he didn't work for Daniel Lanoir, he would have sued him for not being Santana. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wasn't he the guy who sued Neil Young for not being Neil Young? Oh yeah, that was during the eighties. He was he was <laughs> doing, doing the, albums not not representative not, of Neil, Neil Young, Young, but I am Neil Young. <laughs> But you're not doing albums like Neil Young. But I am Neil Young. Is there any <laughs> album I do? That I think that's funny. Imagine being sued by one of your you know, people for not being you. <laughs> well, it's like Mike Oldfield with his secret on Amarok, the last album he did under the Virgin Records. He said there was a secret message recorded in it. Uh, yeah. It's just one hour track, Amarok. And the secret message is Morse code, which says something like... Um, Oh, who's the owner of Virgin Records? Um, Guy, what's his face? Um, yeah. Anyway, it just says, fuck you, Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I can picture the guy's face, but anyway, it just says, like, fuck you, such and such, because, <laughs> you know, they had a massive falling out. They had been recording for about 10, 15 years. Yeah. But obviously the fallout. Yeah, well, that's music world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, look, I, you know what? Um, I had never listened to this album, and when I first put it on, I was like, damn, this is actually really good I liked it a lot a lot more than I thought I would especially considering I knew it was going to be quite a jazzy album and I'm not against jazz I'm just not massively into jazz Richard Branson was it? Richard Branson that's it yeah that's right I just yeah. better look it up and suddenly it came to me <laughs> <laughs> I can just picture that goatee that's it because he yeah he supported him of course when uh, no one would touch his um, tubular bells yeah, that's right. Tubular yeah. Bells. And I think Tubular Bells was a, such a huge success. Massive. It really made Virgin Records, you know, yeah. it kept them going for... I think and it still does. My goal fills up to about Tubular Bells 47. Mm. <laughs> I think it comes out every about three years. You know, the, the, the 15th remixed edition of Tubular Bells. Remember this Tubular Bells with French horns. Tubular yeah. Bells and I'm wearing sneakers. <laughs> Tubular Bells without the Bells remix, you know. <laughs> Square bells. <laughs> Triangle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Slightly muted guitar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was uh which which member of uh, Monty Python was it who introduced that? That was on this on Tubular Bells two. Oh, okay. Uh Eric Idle? No, sorry, hang on. That was Rick Wakeman. No, not Rick Wakeman, Rick um Oh damn, the actor. Um who was the bad guy in Die Hard? Uh, the bad, oh, the bad guy, the German. The, he passed away a couple of yeah, years ago. Yeah, he died, yeah, I can't um, remember his name. Oh I can picture him. <laughs> Rick Allen, Rick Allen. Okay. He yeah. did the introductions on... Um, oh, Journey album. to the Centre of the Earth or to... No, 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 no on, on Tula Bells 2. Oh, okay. He did the introduction of the instruments, I'm pretty okay. sure, on that one yep. there. Um, no, no, sorry, it was a Motorhead album that I was thinking of that had the introduction of, <laughs> of um, Monty Python... Mike, Mike Chapman or something. Um, Graham Chapman. Graham Chapman, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he just does the introduction to the band. Oh, Lord. Please <laughs> please help this band, Motorhead, in producing <laughs> a lot of money so that they can henceforth buy more drinks and food and a second pair of underpants. 
<laughs> True. <laughs> anyway. We di- to- digress. <laughs> but I digress. Back to Illuminations. <laughs> so, look, I mean, this is probably... I, this is the most jazz-sounding album yeah, Santana's yeah, ever definitely. released to date. Um, but, damn, it's a pretty damn impressive one. Yeah. I feel, to me, when it gets to this ranking... I gave it a Ghost Pepper. I probably only played it maybe twice. Um, but damn, it left that much of an impression on me. I only gave it a tight chili because I thought, first of all, that's a rip-off at 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's really an EP. I mean, the the Tadeshi Trucks Band, they just released a whole series of three albums or three, yeah. and they're all 30 minutes each. They call them EPs, I think. Yeah, well... <laughs> Oh, I've got the technical term with them because it's like you've got to have a certain time frame yeah, for an certain, EP. Yeah, yeah. Usually, an EP. A, yeah, usually an EP is four tracks. I think and, it's 40 minutes. Yeah, I'm yeah. not even sure that they did call their albums EP, uh, EPs. Yeah. But, um, I think it's 40 minutes because uh, some techno group called The Orb released the longest single they could as an EP at 39 minutes and 59 Dave Gilmore seconds. worked with The Orb, didn't he? I think he did, yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, but yeah. I mean, by the time you put this album on and go back and resume your seat or start, go back to chatting, who we were chatting with at the party, the damn side's finished. You've got to go and change it again. You've got to put your drink down, wander over, wipe the chicken off your fingers. Turn you haven't had any twisties. Turn the bloody album, wipe the album down for dust, check the needle, <laughs> line it up. You know, it's, um, and if it jumps, you may as well skip the album. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. If someone bumps the <laughs> yeah. the player, then you just that's the whole side gone. Oh, so yeah, look, I don't remember this album much when it came, even when it came out. I remember the cover. I remember looking at it. I remember the name Coltrane, and I wondered at that stage because I wasn't a big jazz fan then uh, whether she had anything to do with that other Coltrane. <laughs> I probably couldn't even really remember. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, now he used to know how to do some nice long albums. Uh, you know, yeah. he's a love supreme. I mean, that was, yeah. uh, and of course, um, Carlos Santana himself, and I think it might turn up later, does um, uh, uh, some of John Coltrane's material, a love supreme, and so on. There were, actually, it's funny you mention that because when I was listening to this, I started getting suggestions from Spotify um, because John Coltrane died in nineteen sixty nine, like I said, and uh, earlier than that, wasn't it? Uh, 66 or something or? sorry 67 67 67 yeah. anyway mm. just a bit before so around look Santana was around but obviously probably never met him no but there's um, a lot a song by John Coltrane you might be right why do you love Supreme yeah and he he did a retro um, guitar solo to it and it mm. kept mm. coming up on my playlist <laughs> listen to <laughs> this <laughs> yeah and it was damn it's a good it's a good mm. version of the mm. song well he's Studio and I've got the live one as well of I Love Supreme, John Coltrane. Uh, it's it's a, one of the jazz classics. Mm. Yeah. It's a staple, isn't it, in the industry? Mm. Mm. Yeah, but no, Illuminations. Uh, very big surprise, I guess, for an album that came out of Carlos Santana's um, realms. But yeah, I, I liked it entirely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, it's not an unpleasant album to listen to. No, 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 not entirely. So we come along up to the 1973 album Welcome, of course, by Santana. Um, the most boringest batshit album cover I've ever seen Santana <laughs> yeah, release. <that's> right. <laughs> it's terrible. Nothing to look at. There is nothing. It's like a drink coaster. <laughs> uh, yep. 
I mean, even the original version, which literally just says "Welcome Across It," is the same color, just with like, you know, brown written "Welcome." It anyway. The less we say about this album cover, the better. <laughs> the first, interestingly though, the first track has Alice Coltrane on keys, um, doing the song "Going Home," and in it, the track also adopts a New World Symphony. The first movement, mm. Adagio, Aleg- Aleg- Ugh, Allegro, I can't speak Italian. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Vorex. Yeah, Molto uh, Adagio, meaning in slow time, and Allegro meaning in fast time. Um, so, symphony talk for tempos, of course. So, that's how that works. Uh, but yeah, look, interesting little thought. I just thought that would be an interesting little note there, going home, containing Alice Coltrane, obviously then working together, and then going, hmm, we should do an album together. <laughs> <laughs> but no, look, the first track, Going Home, is pretty good. Yeah. What did you think regarding this album? Well, listening to this again really took me back to you know the time when it came out because this was another album that I bought for someone who was close to me, my aunt. Ah. <laughs> it was only 10 or 11 years older and uh, and she got into Santana because I, um, well, I'd, I'd played some of the Santana material. So from there on, I, if I didn't want to buy a Santana album necessarily for myself, I'd buy it for her. <laughs> and listen to it every time I went over there, which was fairly frequently sometimes. Well, that's a good thing you gave her. You gave you gave her welcome then. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I just remember, you know, listening to this in their den on a Sunday afternoon, um, sipping cheap wine or KB beer. Oh, it was my uncle's favourite beer. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, just listening to it. <laughs> Yeah, this is all right. This is not bad. Um, but I just probably they played it a fair bit, and maybe they just put it on every time I came over because they thought, well, I, he bought it for me. I better make sure he knows I'm playing it. Uh, but <laughs> it be- just sit there nice and go, beca- oh, yeah, yep, that's a pretty good album that yep, I bought for you. Became some of the you know often played material, which you know along with Neil Diamond's Hot August Night or an album that my uncle had called Magic Fly, which I've what never seen of or heard. That? I don't know. It had this big picture of a fly's head on the front cover, and it was a that's ah, kind of a smooth synthesizer kind of spacey stuff <laughs> I think it was anyone the out there who's listening to this right now <laughs> magic fly magic fly can you link something below? i've never looked on spotify or apple music or any of those to see if it's listed i'm sure magic fly i want to do a reaction video to magic fly <laughs> provide a link below i will do a reaction video within a week and I probably haven't heard that album or any tracks from it since about the mid seventies, but and I and I'm sure it's really missed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I felt this album hasn't aged all that well. Um, Interesting. Most of it sounds okay. like a soundtrack from the late sixties, early seventies, or a you know, B grade movie. Um, but love, devotion, and surrender, I thought was good, and of course that appears elsewhere as 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 well. That, that mm. reappears on other albums. Well, um, they kind of took that from an album that'll be coming up soon um, except it was reworded differently because yeah. the album was Love, Surrender and Devotion and then their songs like Devotion yeah. and Surrender yeah I know yeah, that's right this is the first Tom Costa album as well that they, Tom Costa worked on this one I should say yeah um, but I, I guess it's this album like you said is aged like a 70s suit yeah um, I, this album other than the fact that I was a lot younger makes me glad the 70s were over <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. Was the influence of someone like Tom Costa? I probably haven't examined their material that closely to see. Was he the one that dragged them more towards the middle of the road? Yeah. You know, the pop music kind of stuff. But um, yeah, look, other the 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 last tracks 
to me, Flame Sky and Welcome Itself instrumentals, and that, you know, as you said, Welcome is a track by John Coltrane. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you look at the people who wrote Flame Sky, you know, John McLaughlin with Carlos Santana and mm. Doug Roach. Um, those tracks almost save or redeem the album, but not quite enough. No, <laughs> no. Um, I had the note here Love to Ocean Surrender has Carlos singing. That's the song okay, I was, I was okay. singing on the last one. Uh, so this is the album where he is singing. Mm. And look, the guy... Yeah. And then he was asked <laughs> not to sing again, yeah. obviously. <laughs> yeah, he rarely does, obviously. Hey, Carlos, yeah. don't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> like you're singing, don't do it yeah. again. Can I write? Sure, why not? <laughs> so he did. As, on a singer, <laughs> as a singer, he's a great guitarist. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a voice for radio. <laughs> Uh, no, but Love, Devotion, Surrender is one of the few songs that Carlos sings on. I just... Not, yeah. not, not lead. Um, it is... Yeah, it's a chanting kind the, of song. It's the yeah. Love, like, Devotion, Surrender, like that part. Mm. Uh, I did have a note also. I couldn't rec- I couldn't recount this now. It's been a little while since I heard it. But when I look into your eyes, uses the weirdest garble during singing, probably never done on any song outside of Santana. And <laughs> it's... <laughs> Pretty good tune. <laughs> I'll have to edit it right here. You know, it's just like they'll be singing, oh, ah, you know, like <laughs> bit of throat singing. Almost, you know, and uh, it's just this weird thing. I'll have to replay it right here to prove a point. But it, it's it's a pretty cool tune, actually. <laughs> when you're listening back to it, and you're like, oh, okay, that's actually unique, very different. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like like you guess you were saying, side B. Look, it starts the the whole the album. It does have some good tracks. I thought with Samba uh, de Salito, I think it's pronounced. When I look into your eyes, and of course, side B just starts off boring as hell <laughs> until it gets to Flame Sky. Yeah, Flame Sky, an incredible track, mm. and I think it's the longest Santana piece that's not a live recording. It's like fifteen minutes long, mm, mm. and that that song was like a holy shit moment when I listened to it. like I've never heard this song and then I'm listening to it going this is like an incre- this is one of the best songs I've heard out of Santana mm. you know it, and it's just overshadowed because of the fact that it's so far back on the welcome list that you know by the time you're getting through the crap and you're like oh god bugger this I'll go to another album you know <laughs> you don't get to you, got, you don't get to listen to Flame Sky we One of those albums, say. which I think is in, in anyone's collection, is probably in pristine condition because they've probably only got played three or four times. <laughs> and it did not va- <laughs> it did not increase in value. <laughs> well, I only gave it a tie, Chili. Um, I didn't even rank it. <laughs> I forgot to give it a ranking, but I think I'd agree with Ty Chili. I think it's probably the amongst the it's probably the weakest of the seventies material. Yeah. It was so forgettable that when I was writing it, I did, forgot to write the review <laughs> the score. <laughs> Uh well, but yeah, look, definitely, I would say a tight chili on that album. It's meh, you know. There was better stuff. Speaking of love, devotion, and surrender, we have the first solo album, Love, Surrender, and Devotion, with... John McLaughlin. How do you pronounce that name? McLaughlin? McLaughlin. McLaughlin. From the Loch Ness Monster or something like Mm -hmm. that. 1973. Can you really call it the first solo album if it's a duo? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
It's a duet, this whole album. Uh, this was the last Santana album I was yet to listen to. A uh, little interesting note there. Now I've listened to everything Santana related. Pretty sure. <laughs> Unless he releases an album today, but... Yep, there is nothing I haven't heard of now. So, John is a famed jazz guitarist who worked with Miles Davis on Bitches Brew and some other works. Of course, yeah, his... Silent Way. Yep. Uh, his collaborations read as a who's who of artists from Aldi Miola, uh, Jack Bruce, Herbie Hancock, and also on the Welcome album, even as the guest on Flame Sky. He does mm. guitar work mm. on that track. What did you think regarding this album? Well, it's a, I hadn't listened to this album a, a lot, um, so I listened to it a couple times in preparation for this. I don't know. I mean, I didn't buy it. Um, I don't know anyone that had it, so I probably only heard it in passing in a record store or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe I don't even remember any tracks on the on the radio because a lot of this stuff is just not radio friendly. In those days, you had to do three minute tracks. Yeah. To be yeah. radio friendly because you couldn't, you know, they had to put eleven minutes worth of ads in every hour. <laughs> it's so, stipulated in the contract, people. Hence, <laughs> hence tub- tubular <laughs> bells never got to run. Damn why. <laughs> And uh, thick as a brick, they had to edit it down to about five minutes. Yeah, yeah, you see um, It's a very uh, religious-oriented album. Both, um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. both John McLaughlin and Carlos Santana at that stage were uh, you know, devout, devout um, chin. No, well, huh? chinmoy. The more, um, I'm not sure what religion you'd probably call it. Was a form of Buddhism or some kind of I don't know. Um, mm. But um, you know, like a guru and all that kind of stuff. Um, so classic of the '70s California movement, they would be devouting themselves to someone in the scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You weren't you weren't in the '70s California turning scene their back perhaps it. on the materialism and the um, you know, yeah. the kind of culture of modern music in those days, and uh, looking for some meaning in life, which was fine. The second wave of um, hippies, exactly. heavily influenced by John Coltrane. You can just see that mm. by the tracks, and they do the, the track "A Love Supreme." Um, yes, which you know later on turns up live, and I've got a. a DVD of John McLaughlin and Carlos Santana doing that track live at Montreux. Ah, um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, at uh, you know, and I grew to really like this album after initially disregarding it as I felt it was the first one or two times I probably listened to it. I just thought this is way too self-indulgent. But I've also, of course, I've become much more of a jazz fan and. Um, and appreciated John Coltrane's material. John McLaughlin himself is a brilliant guitarist, and he's had some good albums out. He, uh, I bought a double live album of his a couple of years ago called Five Piece Band, mm. where, with piece spelt P-E-A-C-E, <laughs> but there were five members. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so okay I think works. it was just, sure. you know, meant to be a kind of, hey, man, heap, you know, piece, five piece. Sure. Uh, <laughs> it was it was that time, wasn't it? Yeah, another Al. I think he had another band called Fifth Dimension. So he likes that kind of fifth stuff. Um, fifth or was it Fifth Dimension? No, that was another. I don't know. But um, but John bands. McLaughlin, he's still touring. Um, I yeah. think he said that he's on about his last, you know, like last tour. I don't think he's going to keep continuing uh, forever. <coughs> but um, I'm sure he's around eighty at the moment. Isn't he'd he? be close to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and if you worked on Bitches Brew, you got to be up. To well, that's it. right. Yeah, Bitches Brew was what 60, 69. Yeah. yeah. And oh, he was sixty nine. I thought he, it was... he worked on the previous uh, in a silent way as well. I'm pretty sure. Mm, mm. Um, which you know, a, and I think, in fact, on that DVD live at Montreux, I think uh, they do some of in in a silent way, um, yeah. which itself is a very. Uh, if you listen to that material of Miles Davis, mm. 
I'd say, very influential on a young Carlos Santana. Well, he um, said he does take a lot of influence from a lot of jazz musicians yeah, in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. Miles Davis, as well as, of course, mm. you know, John Coltrane. Because Neema, the second track, was another well-known Coltrane track. Wow, uh, yep, yep. Mm. Yeah, I, I found it interesting, I guess, like writing down the notes for it. The first song was a very good cover, of course, a pretty nice guitar jam to the original version. Um, the second one shows some flamenco styles, which are rarely heard mm. by Santana, obviously, who predominantly plays an electric guitar. Uh, the third track is Frantic in Pace, um, with the drums and the bass constantly being played over the guitar work, which at times is fast but then slows right down and it shows a true jazz uh tempoed piece you know which obviously a lot a lot of jazz can be extremely crazy with its time signatures any musician can say that um but that one in particular i think because it's almost like two time signatures are going at the same time because you've got the the drums and the, the bass work being played at fuck knows what tempo but you know this incredibly fast tempo and then you got Santana just kind of going out of pace and then he slows it down and brings it back up again, you know, while they're constantly at this pace. And, you know, it's a really complicated piece, actually. Uh, incredible, though. Mm, and mm. it was like one of those mind-blowing moments that you really get with songs when you first hear, like, you know, when you first hear, when you first hear a song and it blows you away, you know you're in for a good ride. Hmm. Um, and this was one of those tracks when I, you know, played it through and went, oh my God, this is amazing, this song, you know. Um, it, I think it is also uh, the longest Santana non-live track, Let, it, Let Us Go. Uh, I said on the previous one that Welcome, um, one of the other ones may have been, but I'm pretty sure Let Us Go uh, into the House of the Lord. It's like 16 minutes long, nearly. Hmm. So, and yeah. You, Which is another track they did on that Montreux concert, or at least yeah. some version of it, yeah. Yeah, version of it. Hmm. But um, I feel like I need to play the album a bit more, but it left a great first impression on me. Yeah, well, this is certainly an album I'll go back and listen to again and again because I do like it. And, you know, it's um, it, it, it grew on me. Um, as I said, with you know, if I listened to it, or when I did listen to it, probably in 1973, 74, I probably thought, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not Woodstock, um, you know. But um, yeah, it it did grow on me, and I really enjoy the jazz side of it. And for that for that reason, because it is so jazzy, and because of course I've got enormous respect for John McLaughlin as as well. I mean, I noticed mm. he 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 writes two of the tracks. Carlos Santana didn't write any of the material in this album. Really, yeah, didn't, really should almost be John John McLaughlin featuring <laughs> Carlos Santana. <laughs> but maybe Carlos came up with the idea and the and the other tracks. And uh, yeah, of course, so you don't know what happens. Yeah, song, so <laughs> therefore that's him writing. That's him, and you know he was he would have been um, probably the 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 more commercially uh, valuable. Yeah, um, uh, to send. but I've given it the Carolina Reaper I, I think it's a good album I, but maybe after listening to it again for a, while, a little while I might even give it a pepper spray I'm not sure <laughs> yeah I look, I'm with you on that one um, this was the last album I went through to check out and that was only a couple of days before recording this so I gave it a Carolina Reaper mm. as well and to be honest when I go back and play that and I feel like I will go back uh, to play that relatively soon it might change as well so, <laughs> who knows? 
we might even do an aftermath album. <laughs> might even do an aftermath re- uh, episode and discuss it a bit further. But no, it's. I think it's one of the. It's probably got to be the most overshadowed, no, overlooked album on Santana because if you go in under Santana on Spotify, um, it's not found there. No, it's actually it's right. found under yeah. Santana and John McLaughlin or whatever mm. it is. So. You know, any casual listener is not going to find this album easily. You've got to look for it. You really do. Mm. Here we go with the big four, huh? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the last four albums of Santana, or really the first four, we've been just doing it in reverse order, so this makes no sense. <laughs> 1972's Caravan Sarai. What uh, an album cover, of course, is very interesting, very blue. And then the contrast, of course, of the sky there. Um, very, It cements the legacy, I guess, of the Santana album covers, which up until this stage were very artistic and vibrant. Um, this one, though, doesn't You seem to have the use of his classic Santana font, which is a little bit confusing, hmm. somewhat. But anyway, this, this album showed amazing and complex material and shifted a lot in style in you know definitely compared to the previous albums or the ones that are coming up soon for us it's the right blend of jazz and fusion in regards to these tracks and what an album was what did you think about yeah this is one of my favorite santana albums um i had access to it for a long time because a flatmate had it on vinyl so i listened to it a bit then and then um some years later i bought it when it came out on cd because uh-huh. um, i just uh, i just love the album it's moody jazzy it's perfect for a saturday night quiet dinner mm-hmm. type of thing it, it again as i've said with santana albums the 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 order of the tracks the way it's played and that is just really really good i fooled so many people with that opening crickets <laughs> <laughs> You sit there in an apartment or something. You put it on on the player, and you know they're sitting down for dinner. And next minute, there's just crickets. You know, they're going, "What the hell's that? You got you crickets in the roof or in the floor or something?" You know, like so he's, "Oh damn, crickets!" You see, you stamp your foot at the right time, and the crickets shut up. I'll have to play that intro for those who haven't heard it. But damn, that's great. But uh, no, I just love it. It just rolls out. It's just the you know from the opening track to the Closing track, uh, the, the Song of the Wind, track mm. five, um, mm. is one that I particularly like. But, you know, it's, um, uh, again, a lot of instrumentals. You know, there's, oh, um, yeah, there's, only, there's um, probably more instrumentals than there are. Um, I think there's only three or two tracks yeah. here that were sung. Yep. Just yep. Time to See the Sun, yep. uh, All the Love of the Universe, Stoneflower, Stone which is mm. the commercial one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, but it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a good album. I, I, I just love it. It's just a... It's an album that I've listened to many, many, many times and never really got sick of, you know. And it's probably not an album I go racing back to listen to because you just don't doesn't maybe not doesn't come to mind. No. But um, no. occasionally, when you're flicking through your collection or you know looking at a list on Spotify or Apple Music, you look at it and think, "Oh, hang on, yeah, I wouldn't mind that. listening to that again." I I think when you go through it, obviously, yeah. Look, it, you know, Eternal Caravan of Reincarnation is an interesting opening piece, uh, but Waves Within when it jumps in is, you know, mm. incredible. Uh, layered guitars, 
uh, with Neil and Santana. Neil Sean, yeah. yeah. Neil and Santana jamming. And this was um, Neil's last album as well. Mm. And he featured on two albums. And I'll bring that up a bit later, but yeah, the... The oh look, excluding Santana Four, obviously that came up years, much mm, many decades mm. later, but this is the last Neil Sean era mm. uh, album. Uh, it was it also, I think this is the last one featuring Greg Rowley, uh, the original keyboardist. Mm, mm. So yeah, little you know, tidbit there. Uh, very good chilled album as you mentioned as well. Uh, it gets experimental on Future Primitive, uh, with mostly percussion. Uh, then layered keys, creating a weird soundscape. So, the, you know, this is Santana trying a lot of different things. And it does pay off. It mm. really does. And like we said, you know, Borbaletta kind of... I, I feel that album dragged its feet because Santana tried a whole bunch of things when he had the first few albums. But Borbaletta really did nothing to change it. They were just trying to recreate the Caravan Sarai thing. And it just didn't really work same I guess well Welcome was a just you know as fun as looking at ca- cardboard but anyway you know <laughs> there yeah like this is just one massive standout album of course the uh, while a great album the songs don't exactly have a standout I guess you can say because like you were saying the songs blend together blend. to make as an album. This is an album that you listen to from start to finish. This yeah, isn't one that don't you put it on a random. No, no. <laughs> don't put it on a random play. No, and not I suggest at all. that for almost any Santana album except maybe the best of. And I don't listen yeah. to the best of albums usually because I like to play the whole album because I like to hear the context in which that track originally appeared. I don't think anything from this album would be on the best of, would would it? Maybe probably Stone not. Flower? No. I mean, how? Yeah. Hmm. You know, it's a great album. Many fans will agree. Uh, but it, this is just something that you have to listen to as a whole piece. Like, and I think that's why you can listen to the albums like this over and over again because almost at every listening, you know, you pick up something different—a nuance, a track, or a way that something's been done. You know, even though you've heard it a hundred times before, um, it's just something that stands out to you. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely one of those. It's albums. like you know a lot of Miles Davis albums and and uh, John Coltrane and many other jazz musicians albums um you know mm. i can listen to you know a lot of the herbie hancock you know maiden voyage kind of album again again and again and again you know and yeah you um, can just constantly play it through and yep. from start to finish and there's very very few albums out there that you can do from start to finish mm. i feel like this is one of those albums you can definitely do it uh yeah. ex- like I, I think the only song that really stands alone is probably like I said the Stone Flower song, which yeah, is the radio bit, friendly song. Yep. You know, here's some singing. We've got something to push to the record label. Otherwise, they'll sue us for not being Santana. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, this I, is the one you hope the radio station will pick up and play, <laughs> so people go out and buy the album. Yeah, which was exactly. a common um, approach in those days. <laughs> we've, cre- we've created a really interesting album on this one, but we've got to create something friendly. Yep. Okay, yeah, get something that'll get radio play. <laughs> now. I want to mention again, um, this was Neil's last album. It was only on two, well, technically three albums, um, who, of course, would feature... Sorry, he would go on to form the band Journey. Now, what are your thoughts regarding Neil, Sean? We've mentioned him a few times in the earlier... In last episode, I should say. But I feel like on Caravan Sarai, he's very underused. He doesn't do much. Um, 
Well, I haven't listened to it, I guess, in terms of trying to work out who's playing left and right side or who's playing, you know, quite often albums used to tell you who was playing what side and all that. If you listen oh, to okay. Al, Al Demola, uh, if you listen to, uh, for example, Friday Night in San Francisco, which features John McLaughlin and, and Al and mm. uh, Paco Pena, was it? Um, it tells you which side the people are playing on. So you actually, if you've got a stereo system, you know, which was a big thing and still is, mm. you can sit there and say, okay, well, that's Al. That's John. That's huh? Paco. <laughs> that's uh, whatever. That's an interesting um, way to do it. Yeah. In fact, they've just just mentioning that album friday night in san francisco which i love as a live album it's a much more latin spanish style music it's acoustic by these three greats um they've just brought out saturday night in san francisco which was the next night obviously <laughs> oh, it's a yes. longer album um and it is really really good <laughs> it is excellent how do they kept that under wraps all these years following the success so I expect of Friday night and yeah, yeah, yeah. It was nineteen seventy it was about the same time, seventy three, seventy four, I'm not oh, sure. Shit. <laughs> or maybe eighties, I can't remember. But um you know, I I had Friday night in San Francisco, I think, on, on vinyl, then on C D. <laughs> And only this year they brought out Saturday night, so I'm I'm looking forward to Sunday so they can do the whole weekend. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's like yeah. a lot of artists, um, you know, you get, um, and they, you know, they would, they would do um, several concerts, you know, live at the Village Vanguard was a place where they used to do a Sunday afternoon, Saturday, you know, like Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, yeah. Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And, um, and then years later, they'd bring out the whole set, you know, like, yeah, so yeah, yeah. tracks would be repeated, but they can afford to do that on CD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all fine um, in that regards. Yeah. Um, who, what was his name? Bill Evans. Uh, the the jazz the jazz penis Bill Evans. Um, um, right. He he brought out a he did a live set I think at the Village Vanguard, which featured a really great bass guitarist Lafrey. Was it Lafrey? Who um, six days after that was killed in a car accident in New York. Um, but it wasn't Pasco, um, was it? No, uh, I can't remember. Oh, okay, I can't. In yeah, the eighties? No, this is nineteen sixty three or something. Oh, definitely. Live Pasco at the Village there. Vanguard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and. Well, um, Rather sad. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I didn't listen to it so much to try to pick out Neil Sean. Um, it, it, to me, the smoothness of it and all that seemed to show a lot of influence. I, I, wasn't, a, I wasn't a big Journey fan. I probably haven't listened to them enough. I listened to some of their material, and uh, they're a bit too, I don't know, fusion, and uh, I don't mind jazz fusion, but uh, some of their stuff just didn't strike me as... Yeah, living up to the reputation of the people who were in that. But Neil Sean's solo material, particularly his last few albums, I think his last album might have been called Universal, but Beyond the Thunder yeah, was yeah. a track you know that um, I've listened to over and over and over again, um, yeah. an album. Sorry, yeah. I'm just checking the audio levels because we've got some banging going on. And I'm, just, <laughs> I'm not doing... sure if it's bleeding into the <laughs> microphone yet, but if you are hearing banging, don't worry. That is not my head against the table. It's just... <laughs> The chef in the kitchen downstairs. <laughs> no, it looks sounds alright. Um, yeah, but it's interesting. I went, you know what? When I did the journey review, the five minute review on their recent album, which to cut a long story short, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> um, I listened to the very first album, and that's interesting. Actually, it's not bad. Hmm. It's actually you'd probably like it. Yeah. The very first album, nothing like the stuff from the 80s hmm. um, which would feature I think the old singer for Aerosmith maybe I can't remember hmm. per, Joe, Joe Perry or something like that hmm. anyway um, absolutely nothing like the stuff from the 80s which is this arena rock 
massive yeah. grand yeah. rock sound. Um, the very first album they did was, I wouldn't say it's Caravans are right, but it's got it's very experimental sounds, kind <clears throat> of almost on the jazz sound of things. So maybe you go back and have a listen to the very first album. But when I was listening to it, obviously Neil Sean left, and Neil Sean was this extremely is this extremely talented guitarist, and I always had this thought: why? Why did he leave? You know, Santana. I haven't really read too many reviews, or sorry, interviews in regards to it. So feel free to correct me below. But my thought process was: um, the early Santana sound was very vastly different to Caravan Sarai. And Neil and his works that he would do shortly afterwards is very rock orientated. Hmm. And I just kind of feel like when he did Caravan Sarai, it was probably something that he was like, I don't like this, hmm. and hmm. decided to step away from. Um, that's my thought process, I guess. Correct me. <laughs> Yet his solo albums, you know, Beyond the Thunder and the Universal, Universal, what it's called, I mean, they are salt, they are instrumental. Mm. Albums. He worked a lot with Paul Rogers from yeah. Free and Bad Company. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned in an earlier show I've got a live CD set with him and Paul Rogers doing the Hendrix Jimmy set. Hendrix, yeah. And um, and as a guitarist, you know, like he just pumps in something like that. You know, he just is um, excellent. And of course, the Santana Four, where he reformed and uh, and uh, I've got yeah, a, a live recording of a live film of theirs yeah. um, with Neil Sean coming in after the third or s- second or third tr- opening track oh, okay. they bring Neil Sean in so it was almost like they played the first few tracks which were pre-Neil Sean then they said now here's Neil Sean <laughs> and they, that Carlos Santana this said this is the guy who's responsible for this madness <laughs> <laughs> so he must have been someone who wanted yeah, to them to get to act it. together to do another you know and that album is punchier and uh, yeah, four yeah, you know, so it's not a Caravan Sarai um, yeah nothing like if you believe Sarai. the hype um, I, I read at the time or you know that um, Neil Sean who was a few, a few years younger I think than Carlos, Sant- Carlos Santana younger, yeah. uh, Eric Clapton approached him to work with Derek and the Dominoes because Eric of course used Dwayne Allman oh, um, who right. um, was tragically killed only a year or so after that album but um so i don't know whether the derrick and the dominoes were still 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 trying to go um yeah, yeah. and he wanted to bring in another guitarist for the road because uh, Dwayne allman as far as i know never appeared live with him now, that's probably wrong he probably guest appeared or did some tracks yeah, but some certainly on the there. studio stuff um you know he he, he he appeared and he worked with them on the yeah. in the main album layla but um yeah, so I don't, I don't know whether that's true. That's the hype. But at the same time, Eric was chasing him to join Derek and the mm, Dominoes. Mm. Carlos was ch- chasing him to join Santana. Mm. So it was a young 19-year-old guitarist or something. You know, yeah. he must have been quite flattered. Yeah, two giants in the music industry. Yeah, imagine being at home, you know, and the phone rings and your dad says, oh, it's a guy called Eric. <laughs> Eric who? Eric Clapton, he said his name is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, by the way, Carlos Santana left a yeah, message. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carlos Santana, eh? <coughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so when it gets to the ranking of this one, what would you be ranking? Oh, this? I gave this a pepper spray, yeah. Like, you know, this is... Yeah. yeah. I felt it wasn't... One of the best. Uh, yeah. I, I, I didn't think it was uh, right up there with, I guess, Pure Spice, so I did mm. give it a pepper spray as well. Yeah. Um, but it is damn essential listening yep. when it comes to Santana 
Yeah. So I think the only thing really was the fact that there wasn't really like it's a whole album listening. Not there's no real massive singles that lead off of it. Yeah, so it's not playing, the kind of one you just live. go in and just I might just play track four. Yeah, like they might do, <laughs> for example, Ways Within Live, I guess, yeah. but it's very hard to kind of do yeah, I think one some or two of that, tracks. I'm not sure if some of that appeared on Lotus. A live version of Maybe Song of the Wind. I've got Lotus, I'll have to go back and listen to that. I haven't listened to that for a while. Yeah. It's def- it's on Spotify, so you can check that yeah. out because that's a very good uh, mm. live recording, of course, of Santana. Um and yeah, that came out in seventy four, so we're talking about the right time. Mm. Mm. But I don't think Neil Sean played on the Lotus live set live live He must have been gone by then. No, definitely. Yeah, it was Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on. I'd have to look that up. Mm. I'm not sure. As Depends I said, I've got the. I got. I bought it on CD. Um, uh, a friend did have it on um, album. It was a three album set, I believe, and yeah, it's a it had a fold up cover too. I remember oh, the well, album was a bugger trying to put it back together again. <laughs> <laughs> side A goes to side B. But I didn't. I, I didn't. Um, when I finally listened to it, you know, and, um, I don't know. Lotus didn't grab me as a live album. Still hasn't, even though I've listened to it many times since. It's not. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, you know, any live material by Carlos Santana. Yeah, it's good. but I think you know the live in Mexico, uh, the Montro jazz stuff with John McLaughlin. Viva la Santana. Yeah, Viva la Santana. Um, yeah, that live material is uh, a, a lot better. But um, they were being quite experimental in Lotus, and there was a lot of um, yeah. I think there's a lot of drifting and yeah, a lot of squawky noises and things like that. You know where well, that's um, where Caravan Sarai I think falters a bit. Like hmm. you, yeah, you're being experimental, of course, and do so. But well, it seems to work on Caravan Sarai, but it, it just worked, didn't yeah. s- in the live context on some of that material. Yeah, uh, yeah. you just expect that a you know Santana album is going to really just pump and um, mm. with some you know nice slow jazzy. Yeah, like, I guess I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking from an outsider looking in. I guess you could see it working if you were if you were to play it through the entire thing, but in between some certain songs, play some of his prior mm. works. I don't know. Look, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what people have to say. Yeah. Uh, did you catch Santana live around this time? Let me know. <laughs> I probably did. I've seen him a couple of times. So. All right. But never with Neil Sean. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Alright, so we move on to the 1971 album Santana 3 or 3 or depending on what you want to call it, the self-titled album. There's many names when it comes to this one because there is no words on this album. It's just a picture of the hand that's outstretched. It's a very interesting album cover. Probably one of the best album covers out on the uh, Santana uh, discographies, I should say. Mm. Uh, so, enter Neil Sean, of course. This was his first foray into Santana. And what an album to jump into, eh? This is the last album of the Woodstock-era band as well, before people started dropping off like flies. Um, also, a little fact, this was the... Last sent. Oh, here we go. This is an interesting one for you. Uh, this was the last Santana album to reach number one until 1999's Supernatural. <laughs> All right. Now, this also held the Guinness Book World Records of longest gap between number one albums. All right. This record has since been broken. Can you have a guess at which artist get- broke this record? Oh, um, Bob Dylan. 
No. <laughs> Decent guess. Leonard Cohen? No. Give you one more guess. Uh, it wouldn't be Bowie, I don't think. Um, whew, who's had a big hit after... Well, Springsteen had a... No, uh, he's had pretty consistent hits since. I don't know. Paul McCartney. Oh, Paul McCartney, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With his 1982 uh, album Tug of War and 2018's Egypt Station. Mm. Proving that no one cares about the Beatles that much in between that period. <laughs> <laughs> so that that yeah, that's so a record you really want to. Not carry. really being a Paul McCartney fan, I mm. haven't listened to either of those albums. <laughs> I don't think he's done much since the I band, didn't. has he? Oh no, he's, oh, done, he's a done a lot. Of, he's done a lot of yeah, he did a lot of stuff with Wings and um, no, Ram Wings. was an album that he had. I think it was one of his first albums, and he's written some good material. Maybe I'm amazed. He's a, yeah, he's a good. Um, no, yeah, he's a good singer-songwriter. It's just not my my, cup, my of cup of tea. He's yeah. too much of a top forty, you know, guy. <laughs> but yeah, that was. Um, I thought that was an interesting <laughs> little note there. So this one did held the record, but only was broken about four years ago. <laughs> uh, look, this intro piece leads so well in with its Latin samba rock, and then it just goes into no one to depend on, hmm. and that's quite a track, of course, to just play on through. Uh, was lead us through this oh yeah look this this I think is to me the best um, it just hits you with Batuka you know straight mm. between the eyes and it just goes over goes on from that opening track there's no fillers here it's all great stuff um, again the, the album just rolls um, I actually acquired this album quite by accident I, I bought the first two Santana albums and as I used to do in those days I think well I don't want any more at the moment I'll see what you know mm. um and um, so I didn't buy it, but a friend of mine's older sister had bought it and didn't like it, <laughs> or was sick of it, I'm not sure, I can't remember which, and he he was not a Santana fan either. Okay. And I was down there one day seeing him, um, probably two or three years after this album came out, and his sister said, do you want this album, Warren? I said, oh, Santana, yeah, sure, I'll take it, you know, I'll take it. and you know, Took it and it was immediately blown by the opening track, and like the album, but it, it, again, it was one of those ones that it, you know worked on me, I, and I'd listen to it, and I'd think, I wouldn't mind listening to that opening track, that that track again. That's the one that really grabbed me, and mm. um, and then of course, t- you know, the whole album, no one to depend on, you know, which is just such a Ugh. great beat to Saint La Overture. Yep, uh, everybody's everything. They all became, you know, Jungle Strut. I think became pretty much um, Jungle Strut. Yeah, yeah, live concert material um, Guardiola or whatever it yep. is Taboo yep. even yep they just became you know, inst- you know they became um, staples to the Santana yep. soundtrack like you said I guess it's like th- these are all killer tracks and absolutely no filler in it yeah you know? as I said and was I knew his last album until recently the original Santana mm-hmm. lineup, or pretty much the Woodstock lineup, as you called it with Neil Sean added in yeah, um, and the cover itself was just a yeah, just something you sit there and just look at it and while you listen to the album, it's just um, <laughs> yeah, it it doesn't miss a beat. This album, it's um, mm, there's some interesting pieces in regards to this. For example, um, Toussaint uh, Toussaint the Overture. Uh, there's a little bit of a story behind this one. So this one was named after a famous general from Haiti who is considered the grandfather of Haiti. He was a general, I think, during the Napoleonic Wars, if I'm right. Right. And mm. pretty much... <laughs> there's, there's a, it's, it's a bit of an interesting history. But he, he over, overthrew 
like the English and ended up killing a lot of white people on the <laughs> island um, before you know being overthrown and all this jazz happened. But many people revere him in Haiti. Um, so the song is a musical interpretation of the man, the myth, the legend himself. Now this also flows into another song which will come up later, but um, I want you to remember that note. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah. Anyway, look there. I mean this this album, jeez. I mean the soulful taboo, you know the slow paced track. What a fantastic way, you know. You go from that frantic batuka to no one to depend on, going into a slower version to taboo to song the overture, one of the best Santana tracks ever recorded mm. and usually played in live. I think it was um in the Viva La Santana or a record that you own. I think they do a nice live mm. version of mm. it. You know, mm. a little bit of a jam piece to it. Yep. Um, there is absolutely no bad tracks here. Um, I th- I feel like everybody, is, is, is the the Toussaint piece in in particular. I mean, it's very festival like, and the bass tone in it is just amazing. You know, <laughs> I absolutely value when it comes to bass lines, and you know, it's the, such an under. <laughs> It's it's an instrument that can get overlooked very easily, but without the bass, so, you know, a lot of songs can be a miss. And the one of the you know this track in particular, Tours on Overture, um, is one of those ones where if you heard it without bass, you go, "Hang on, this ain't right." This ain't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're really hitting their straps with this, and I find that a lot of album, a lot of groups, their third album, sometimes mm-hmm. their second, but their third album is, is usually the the best or the highlight. Or they're you know, they're starting to hit it when they get to their second album. I mean, you listen to Disraeli Gears by Cream, that was their second album. Led Zeppelin too, you know, with the whole lot of love and Heartbreaker and so on. Yeah. Um, you know, this being their third album, I think the band was really working together, and they obviously had been playing live around the place. Um, you know, they'd done Woodstock two years before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, they've been working around, from what I understand, in the San Francisco scene for a couple of years prior to getting a recording contract. Although they did record some material, which was later, of course, when they became famous, they someone dug it out of the, you know, I think I've got a tape here of someone, you know. <laughs> yeah, the usual sense. I may have coughed into this. Yeah, yeah. And Carlos is probably saying, oh, don't play that crap. We recorded that in a broom closet, you know. <laughs> Um, with you know the weird weird song titles like fried neck bones or whatever it was fried chicken and <laughs> fried neck bones and some home fries yeah <laughs> yep that's a great track um you know i mean i've heard albums i've heard material from artists that have later struck it big and they bring out you know for you know ad ad thing ad jingles they might have done <laughs> oh. yeah we refer to hendrix there yeah <laughs> Why fucking well that's right hendrix himself you know after his death of course um but they were he recorded more hours they bought, than he did a lot yeah they bought out material after material after you know like stuff he, I mean, he just was probably in the control room you know he might have walked past <laughs> and farted you know and they said he's so-and-so with jimmy <laughs> hendrix and jimmy <laughs> hendrix's name's written you know like the other guy was the guy who wrote and composed and put together the track he just happened to employ this brill cream head mm. um guitarist who could play all right <laughs> <laughs> and it worked out quite well for yeah. it. here we go it's a perfect setup it's featuring Jimi hendrix yeah but this oh. this album i mean it's pure spice but because you gave me the option i guess <laughs> this is the one i've got as lava <laughs> very good there we this go so the, the lava rating has been dropped on santana <laughs> three by was uh for those who couldn't remember or maybe it's been a little while um i said that 
one album can be differentiated by the others by calling it lava so it's the absolute top tier so Weiss has chosen Santana 3 mm. for that one very interesting for me I did uh, Pure Spice it's very hard to, you can't fault this album there is no faults on this album um, it's a perfect Santana album and I remember even uh, being at the office and we've got a little Bluetooth speaker set up you know that you can play in the showroom and I just played Santana one day and one of the younger guys was like what are you playing I'm like oh Santana 3 and he's like this really is good like you know <laughs> and he's not really into that kind of scene you mean really. Santana had an album out before Supernatural yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like saying to Paul McCartney was he in a band before Wings yeah <laughs> Beatles I've never heard of them <laughs> yeah but I, I go oh I know you like your um you know little pieces like instrumentals and stuff you should check out this album and I played in this album and like he was hooked onto Santana <laughs> from there so yeah look Pure Spice for me uh, obviously Lava for Woz <laughs> yeah You know what? I thought you were going to pick this album as the, uh, the <laughs> Lava one. I didn't know which way you were going to go with it, but Abraxas, Abraxas. number 1970. Abraxas, the second Santana album. Yeah, I honestly thought you were going to give it that rating, but this is uh, the most vibrant album cover mm. that was ever made by Santana. <laughs> you know, a lot is going on. With a very strategically placed pigeon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if that was in the original artwork. They said, "Nah, you gotta marry White House, etc." Yeah, exactly. You're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to put something there. You can see like Reagan's like wife or something just going, "Oh my god, they did what?" <laughs> this um, the first out. Al- if the first album started turning heads, this cemented their legacy, really. Uh, it features, of course, another Tito cover track here with Oi Como Va, uh, which is a common thing they did a lot. They've done a lot of Tito covers, I guess, but the most famous cover on this album, by far, is, of course, the yeah. version of Black Magic Woman, mm. originally done by who was? Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Peter Green wrote it. Mm. This is before their days. Before Stevie Nicks. And- before Stevie Nicks, of course. Uh, when Peter Green was still in the band, so when they were a blues band, mm, yeah, I think it was off like their third album or something. Because Stevie Nicks wasn't on to like the sixth album. Or something oh, something like, like that. yeah, there was um, much later on anyway. A few of them that had left. Peter Green had gone. Yeah, Peter Green long gone and by then. Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham joined, and then they did the Rumors album. I, was, I think that was the first one. That was of course a massive hit. You know, like that. Mm. That was another one that, along with Hot August Night and probably a few other Santana <laughs> ones I heard too much of. <laughs> now, this album um, showcases the band leaning into their jazz roots a bit more. Um, it, it was a very different album to the first one and even to Santana 3, um, which changed its style. You know, the, very, the first four albums, really, they have their own distinct style while still remaining to a core Santana sound, I should say. And Abraxas is the one that is the jazz influence. 
you know, um, Caravan Sarai is the Jazz Fusion um, experimental one. Uh, Santana 3, I don't even know where to, re- where to say that one is, but um, it, it was different to what every one of these albums, you know, and this one is like, okay, all our um, jazz, all our jazz um, influences, they're being brought out here. And yeah, it does a fantastic job. Of course, you can't go wrong with the first four albums mm. of Santana. Was what were your thoughts when this album came out? Oh yeah, this was a classic album, and uh, even though I wasn't knowingly into jazz, um, I love this album. And it's probably stuff like this, a lot of the bluesy stuff, the Mike Bloomfield's type of guitar work, and his work with Al Cooper and a few others that um, I was probably much more of a jazz fan before I even realised I became a jazz fan. I love the blues, mm-hmm. um, and you know Eric Clapton and Cream were the, probably the ones who really introduced me to that. Um, I had heard um, some early Fleetwood Mac um, tracks, but uh, this, of course, introduced the Black Magic Woman Gypsy Queen combination, which mm. you know became a standard. And and you know I, yeah. I don't think they've ever probably performed live since then without having done that. Yeah, you know, they'd be. I think it's a closure on every bloody yeah. concert they've done. And they since, play a it? really good version of it. Um, mm. I've listened to Peter Green doing a live version of it as well, uh, and of course the original Santana. Um, and that's they're they're good. But um, and Peter Green himself was a very good uh, guitar player. Yeah, a troubled individual, but a, an excellent guitar player. Um, yeah, he um, you know had had his own. He had his demons like Sid Barrett. Demons, did, I guess. yeah, that's right. He. Um, used to send him back they used to send him royalty checks and he'd mail them back and say what are you sending me this for I don't want the money you know like geez. we have to mention as well though because it does uh, have Gypsy um, Gypsy Queen in there mm. on that song which is an instrumental by Hungarian guitarist uh, Gabor Szabó. and yeah I just have to mention that as well yeah. because obviously Black Magic Woman outshines often the second part of that track which is but the they last blend together so well it's just mm. a clever combination of, mm. of the tracks and and you're right there's not been incident and Neshabar that that is on the latest live album I think it might even be the finish is it oh, I'm not sure yeah um, but yeah everything on this album is is very good and it's a, a very very good you know, great classic album mm. uh, and the cover art I mean again it's the stuff you can just sit down while if you listen to it on your own, just just looking at different aspects of the cover and you know mm. getting different concepts and ideas. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Mm. That's for sure. I'm so. I'm it's a very busy it cover. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That but is they can afford to be in those, eh? Because they were big LPs, you know. They, yeah, they weren't CDs or the little books. Like on this. a CD case, you kind of look at it and think, yeah, oh, shit, okay, you need to find glass. Take a <laughs> take a photocopy and blow it up, <laughs> or take a photo and blow it up. I, I know a fair few people point to this album as the go-to album, like the starting point for Santana. Mm. I disagree with this sentiment, though. I I don't rate it as high, I guess, comparing that. It's not even in my top three Santana albums, I will, can, I'll say. But it's still obviously a very good album. Now, I mentioned, obviously, in the last um, one, Toussaint L'Overture, uh, based around the the... The god, the grandfather of Haiti, and then there's the incident at Neshabor on this one, um, which Santana, he he did this song based on um, a battle that occurred during the Napoleonic Wars. He said there is a lot of confusion regarding this statement because mm. there is no place as Neshabor. That's actually a fictional place, mm. and also the 
closest location, which I think was around Haiti or somewhere like it was some other place anyway, did have a battle, but it wasn't during Napoleonic Wars anyway. No, it was well, later after his death. So there was a little bit of confusion, and people obviously are thinking he might have got confused. Still, regardless of the storyline, the instrumental song Incident at Neshabor is a fantastic, mm. uh, complicated, jazz rooted, time signature, chaotic mm. piece. You know, yeah, it just shows, you know, there's a band here that there's. I don't know. They've got a lot of things that they had going on. It's a band learning and evolving from their first release. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of things right here. As I said, the second and third albums are usually the strongest. Mm. Yes, definitely. This is full of passion, but lacks power, I guess. But that's because of maybe the jazz influences. Um, so, you know, that, that that's just how jazz I guess can be can, look not saying jazz doesn't lack power but to me on this album in particular you know compare it to Santana 3 and you know the original Santana songs um, there were more powerful pieces you know this one had very nice pieces with like Oi Komovar Black Magic Woman Incident Neshabar Samba Pati and all the rest um, but for me you know while a great album it's still like I said before, it's not in my top three Santana albums, you know. So, yeah, it's it's a very good album. Where would you rate this? You reckon? I oh, look. I'd rate this as a pure spice as well. I mean, this is one of my top, probably one of my top three or four San, Santana albums. It's mostly the original material mm. and where they've taken other tracks like Black, Mag- Black Magic Woman and like Come All Bar. Uh, they've really made it their own as well. Um, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. They I did just, the whole um, Santana method of taking songs, making them their own, I guess. Yeah, you know, yeah. putting their own stamp on it, putting their own um, mm. um, their own spice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, so, no, I, I, I love this album. It's a, it's a good album. But, um, listening to it again brought it back to me. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't listened to it for quite some time. You know, it's not oh, an album really? that I've played for a long time. I don't know why. It's just, I guess, there's been too much else to listen to, but um, <laughs> I'll listen to it again. Song. You know, this has made me appreciate... Santana that, sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly 100%. those first, you know, four or five albums. Definitely. For me, oh, look, easily pure spice. Yep. Um, this is one of those albums you definitely should listen to if you're a Santana fan. Um, I wouldn't say it's probably the first one, uh, but it's definitely up there as one of the first couple that you should listen to. It's consistently very good. Yeah, no dud tracks on this album again. Back to where it all started. (laughs) The Santana self-titled track album, sorry, from 1969, the album started it all and got them on Woodstock. Actually, no, it came out just after Woodstock. I say that incorrectly, uh, but obviously helped with the uh, performance at Woodstock would launch them into superstardom. I guess the self-titled Santana album. Man, there were there's a lot. It, it starts off with that fantastic album cover, of course, which looks like a lion. But if you're looking at the album cover, it's got three people on the cover it looks like or four or five people mm-hmm. it's a very interesting um, album cover of course to look at despite it only being black and white in colour 
So, it, yeah, it's a very interesting album cover. And imagine if you were holding this vinyl record, you'd be like, hmm, okay, there's, you know, there's that. And I feel like a lot of bands, with their first album, in particular the very first track, it can set the mood for what to expect, you know? Black Sabbath did it with Black Sabbath, um, mm-hmm. their first album, The Lightning and the Thunder, and the very doomy piece that came in with it. Led Zeppelin did it with Good Times, Bad Times, and Santana's done it here on Waiting, which I feel is aptly named like we're waiting for this to happen. Was, what were your thoughts regarding the first yeah, album? Yeah, this is a, a brilliant first album, and you're right, the cover, I mean, I, I bought the album on vinyl, so we had the bigger, larger cover, and I remember giving the cover to many people while I was playing the album, saying, see how many faces you can see <laughs> in that, and they go, what? They, oh, yeah, yeah, mm. I see. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I think if you look carefully on the bigger one, there's probably a couple of others hidden amongst the the main of the line there. I'm not sure. But, oh, um, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, look, it, it, it was a, a great album. It's funny. I acquired this, I think, I joined I joined the, what they called the Australian Record Club okay. Um, okay. in the late 60s. And I think as one of their first offers, one of the things that got me, they used to advertise in the back of magazines. Mm. You could join for whatever it was and, you know, 20 bucks or something then and, and you get five albums. And it was a five album i think not sure there was a limited number that you could choose from and okay, uh, right i'm not even sure if some weren't prescri- prescribed you know that's the album you get <laughs> <laughs> um and i think this was amongst them so i got five albums and you know for those days that was four bucks an album they were all selling for 5.99 or six bucks you know oh, six yeah, or seven dollars so it wasn't bad um it wasn't bad value um and uh i listened to it you know put it away just listen to it again you know it wasn't one that it wasn't like Santana 3 which hit me straight away as you know being mm. really good I mean the, well the opening track brought me back again and again and then the rest of the album just took place but uh, I gradually then started to really like this album and again had to play side one and two you know it wasn't one of those albums mm. that I could very often just play the one side and had to play it in the right order so you know whilst the, with an album you'd with, with vinyl you don't really have much of a choice of random play mm-hmm. um even listening to it on um you know cd or or streaming you know it was not an album you'd put on random because you've the tracks again yeah, a lot of thought together, they are right? just yeah. it just to me just melds into yeah. one long piece you know mm. um the production of it and is very good. finishing off with soul sacrifice you know yes. that was a highlight and then of course a year or so later, you know, the the Woodstock movie came out and the soundtrack came out. And, yeah, um, Soul Sacrifice. Yeah, and you and saw Santana on that. And, and look, you know, and I know Hendrix was the big the big hit, and you know, his set there was amazing. But I think the to me the second biggest uh, artist that appeared was Santana. And I saw a list that came out the other day. It's done the rounds a few times on social media of how much. They were paid. Hendrix, of course, was the highest paid of the yeah. night. Of yeah, the, was it ten thousand oh, dollars? ten or eighteen grand, some ridiculous yeah, amount of money for those amount. days. Probably when the annual income in America was probably two and a half thousand. Yeah. Um, I think Carlos Santana, or Santana, the band, and there was a big band, a lot of musicians. I think they got about seven hundred fifty bucks. Whoa. <laughs> so yeah, the time they took the drive out there to set up and the roadies and all oh, that. Uh, but of course, the exposure. Damn, you know, the exposure was yeah. killer. Um, but uh, yeah, they they were not one of the higher paid. I mean, a year or so later, they would have been much more 
much more uh, highly well, yeah, paid for the, something like the that. Amount, yeah, the amount of exposure that it got but for they them, just, of course. They were just new and they were just in the San Francisco scene doing you know, music and playing. Probably right place, right time when it came to, of course, recording this and being out there in the area yeah. and the scene. Um, my, my first exposure to Carl Santana, and again, I think I mentioned, might have mentioned this in the first series, um, there's an album called Live Adventures of Mike Bloomfield and Al Cooper. Oh, yeah. And Mike Bloomfield and Al Cooper did a, an album with Steve Stills called Super Sessions, mm. a studio album where uh, Mike Bloomfield played on side one and Steve Stills on side two. Mm. Side one was much more jazzier blues style, um, and I liked side two probably better with Steve Stills and Al Cooper because it was more music season of the witch and um, they did a couple of, they did a, a dylan song mm. but gradually as i played the album i started really appreciating side one the bluesy side of it and then they came out with this double live album in okay. san francisco um a double live at the fillmore and on the third side yeah um yeah. they said it was the third night i think al cooper introduced because mike bloomfield did the, in, the introduction on the first side Al Cooper introduced said, "Oh, my friend Mike Bloomfield. He, uh, as he does, he he's suffering from insomnia and and he mm. just collapsed and you know really couldn't go on, keep playing. So I invited some guest guitarist, and Carlos Santana was one of the guests. Yeah, and um, I really enjoyed that track that he played on, and um, you know, uh, so I'd heard of Santana and I'd listened to him in the context of this one track on the Live Adventures." So when this album came out, I thought, oh, this would be something I'd li- like to listen to. He, yeah, right. This okay. guy. Yeah. Very interesting. Mm. For me, like, I was going over the list. I mean, this is another one of those albums that has no dud tracks no. here. Um, love the way that, you know, waiting flows in with that instrumental piece, builds mm. up, it does all that jazz, uh, to Evil Ways, mm. um, which I believe is a, clo- a cover song. Hmm. Uh, it's interesting though the way that they once again make another cover song their own yeah um, because when I listen to Evil Ways every time I listen to Evil Ways it feels like I could be in San Francisco at like some takeaway joint in 1969 at night time or something for some reason my mind just teleports me into that like being at some kind of chicken diner area or something <laughs> like I am there and that got radio play that track so it got that a was, lot yeah. yeah and it was you know what besides that it got played a lot in a lot of movies as well. So it was used in Hangover 3, <laughs> American Hustle, uh, First Fast and the Furious as well. Oh, right. Yeah. So there's three uh, tracks, uh, sorry, three movies, movies, I should say, yeah, yeah. that it was used in. And interestingly enough, Evil Ways was featured in more uh, albums, sorry, movies, than Black Magic Woman. <laughs> and I thought, you know, Black Magic Woman is one of those signature sounds. Mm-hmm. Not saying either ways isn't, but I thought Black Magic Woman would be used in many more. Yeah, yeah. Not the case. Which, yeah, it's interesting because uh, Black Magic Woman has only been used in one movie. And it's, an, it's a movie I've never bloody heard of. 2014's uh, About Last Night. Oh, From yeah. what I've read, mm-hmm. that is it. Mm. That is the only uh, song that, sorry, the only album that uses that. I'm like, okay, bloody weird. <laughs> now, the album is full of fully fleshed ideas by the band, who had been working together for many years. Yeah, by they the weren't. They'd been around for a while. Yeah, mm. and I guess it really helped because all these guys in the band, you know, Greg Rowley, um, all them stuff like that. They they 
had been working together at the Fillmore East for years since I think 90, I think Carlos Santana had been working there since 1965 you know and it it's a fantastic version you know obviously they've probably been playing together for four years before that um, and like you were saying they were on that album hmm. you know they were brought out and they did well, Carlos all, was yeah. yeah yeah well Carlos was and I know I, I never a fact that uh, Bill Graham when he was running Fillmore East and oh gosh I can't remember the name of the guitarist now Bill Butterfield or something Butter- um, Paul Paul yeah um, when he had one of his little alcohol episodes and they couldn't bring him on he ran around to all the people working at Fillmore East because he knew they were all musicians he's like hey can you guys jump on stage and play a few songs and he knew that these guys were together like played a lot of music yeah, well, Mike Bloomfield's got his start with the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and then Paul, because of Paul's efforts, the Santana movement started off as well. And then, of course, they would record a version of their performance in 1968 at the Fillmore East, hmm. which was released hmm. later That's on. That's right, released with that, yeah, that San Franciscan artwork. Mm-hmm, and it's a fantastic... Pretty much, it's, the 1968 version. That's the um, yellow cover, isn't yellow it? Yellow cover. Yeah. Very, mm. not, it's, you know, flower power mm. design. Mm. Um, the 1968 live recording album is pretty much this exact album, you know, just with longer jams. Like, I think Soul Sacrifice goes like half an hour. Soul Sacrifice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it's a fantastic live recording of a band that is hungry and just full of energy and wanting to record a whole bunch of material. You know, they've got ideas and they're bringing them to the table here and people are enjoying it. Yeah, well, when we were in San Francisco a couple of years ago, I stayed in a hotel up um, near the square there. I forget the name of the square. It's quite mm. well known. Um, and it was only three, two or three blocks up Hanley Square, I think it was. Uh, two or three floor blocks up from where the Fillmore used to be. Okay. There and well, I it's remember. Been knocked down now. Well, no, no, it's still. I think the building is still there because I remember saying to a taxi driver one time, "Where, where was the Fillmore?" And he, he pointed. We were, it's a bank or something now. Like it's a, oh. you know, and it's got the side because I've seen pictures of you know from a live from actually a Mike Bloomfield live at the Fillmore, not the one with Al Cooper, but his own Bill Graham's Fillmore Live or something. It's called, mm, mm. Um, or live at Bill Graham's Fillmore. Um, and uh, you can recognize when you look at the building, you say, oh, yeah, that's it. But I'm pretty sure there is another building or another place that they call the Fillmore. I didn't get a chance really to check. Uh, okay. But across the road from where we were staying in the hotel, the first day we were there, it was raining. It was a bit miserable. We went and had to bite to eat. Yeah. Wandered down the road, almost straight across the road from the hotel was this um, photography, you know, selling framed pictures and signed pictures by a whole lot of San Francisco musicians. Okay. And I went in there naturally and got yeah. talking to the guy. We were in there for an hour and a half. He took us upstairs <laughs> and showed us their special collection. I think he, I don't know whether he thought I was really going to shell out, you know, two, three, four, six, seven thousand dollars for some of these photos because they were limited set, you know, and taken by these great photographers, many of, who, of whom are no longer with us. Yeah. And um, I'm pretty sure there was a shot there of Al Cooper. I don't know about Mike. There might have been a shot of both Al Cooper and Mike Bloomfield, but um, oh, wow. but many of the artists who played over the years at um, yeah at yeah at the Fillmore. That's quite an interesting little tidbit. Mm. I 
I mean, it'd be interesting to have a look at. He he probably shouldn't sell it. He probably should just set up a bloody museum and charge people coming in. Who Bloom? Um, yeah, this guy that's trying. Well, Bill's dead now. Oh, the, no, no, oh, no, the guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. It's free studio. Just go in and have a look. They're all on the wall and everything. They're mm. all there. Um, we charge a dollar. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's right. I don't know. That's my idea. If you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> I still get emails from them. I'm on an email service, and they send about it once every three months. They'll send out saying. Here's a selection of, you know, Rolling Stones pictures taken at, you know, 1973 Altamont or something, whatever it was. I don't know. Uh, um, is well, the Hell's Angels? 69, I think, was Altamont. Yeah. <laughs> to me, uh, this album is the perfect boiling point of Latin rock, soul, 60s rock in 40 minutes. Mm. Pretty much all those, actually, these last three albums have been just on the 40-minute mark. And uh, this album is no different, you know. you got... Very signature tones with Evil Ways, of course, Jingo, Saviour, uh, and Soul Sacrifice. All of these tracks are staples in the Santana set list, of course, when you're looking at live performances. And there is no there is no dud track, as I said. You know, Every one of these tracks, from start to finish, this album plays through well. But you can listen to a lot of these tracks individually and still thoroughly enjoy them, which does, I think, add a bit to it. Now, interestingly enough, the 1998 um, edition came out, the remastered edition, I should say, and it contained a few live versions from Woodstock, the Woodstock era, mm. um, a few of the tracks there, and you know a few of the jam pieces as well that was recorded where you mentioned the track Fried Neckbones and Some Home Fries, yeah. which is dead set the title that they recorded, and it's just a jam piece. The band is just jamming, and they just probably wrote the song about what they were eating <laughs> <laughs> and the, the lyrics are that fried neck bones and some home fries you know and it's a f- like which depending which version i'm sure it's just a warm-up track you know yeah but it's a really good version i love that track to be yeah. honest and it's always a track that is it's hard to come by uh and it's a fantastic piece and in the 1998 re-edition of that re-release i should say of that album it's there 10 minute version or something like that I don't know if that's on any streaming service and it's I haven't not. seen the re-release yeah because <laughs> I think I, it's on some like compilation yeah I listened to it, it um, but, you know on streaming and because uh, I've got it on vinyl but I yeah I don't believe there's a legacy edition or nothing and hmm. I can't I, I, it definitely exists I've heard it but it's not on the you know Spotify Santana version of this album hmm. Uh, which is a shame because if you haven't heard that song and you do love the the early works of Santana, it's a very good track that I feel could have made the cut, probably if not made by time, time constraints. Um, it's a really good piece. Well, if you want an excellent playlist, I mean, with you know, streaming services and that now, if you put the first three albums in order on a playlist just to listen to in one mm. one go, that's um, you're pretty good. <laughs> great, yeah. There's not a there's not a dud track. Between, I mean, there's many other great Santana albums, as we've said over the time, but yeah. um, but those three albums are just so consistently good and strong, mm. and you know some of his more recent material as well has been good, yeah. been great. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's um, and I suppose that we all have a you know when we first hear a band and we first really like them and you buy you know and I suppose if you look at the history of most bands, their their first few albums are often the biggest sellers. Oh, yeah. um, they'll set them up know, anyway. um, and um, you know many bands I mean many artists you know 
I think you know even Dylan and Springsteen and Neil Young and all that they've probably not sold as well as you know the Neil Young's Harvest is probably still his best-selling album. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um, born in the USA is probably still Springsteen's, you know, or Born mm. and Born to Run. Born um, to Run, yeah. Although he's had you know a number of hits since. So but, I think it's safe to say what your score will be for this album. Yeah, pure spice. Yeah, pure spice. And I think it's safe to say what mine is. Yeah, <laughs> this is my favorite Santana album, and thus gets the lava, lava. ranking. <laughs> This album I do go to often, actually. I go a lot Mm. back to this album. Which is not to negate their more recent material. and no, you know, no. He's moved around and he's done different stuff. And, and so he should. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, if you're listening to a, the 22nd Carlos Santana album and it's almost a repeat of this album, you think, well, why bother? <laughs> yeah, if you're only doing the same thing again. And there are some bands, I think, that's, that just kept rehashing the same kind of sound. And uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing that if you are still garnering fans and stuff like that. Hmm. At the end of the day... You do what you do. Motorhead did it. Hmm. You know. Um, Ramones did it. To a degree, Deep Purple kind Deep of Deep Purple. It. You know, there's a whole bunch of bands out there that have made their fame from playing their stuff. And then there's bands like the Eagles, which I think have only had one studio album out in the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The last one out from what's it, Eden, Babylon or something. Eden, Gardens of Eden. Last one from, yeah, last... A couple of years ago yeah. or some shit, but... And, um, and, yeah, they've just traded on... The Hotel California era kind of music. The old legacy um, bands. Yep. A lot of them. Um, and look, Santana's you know, trying. He is releasing mm. albums to date and still quite regularly. Uh, and, you know, even even at the, at the time of me doing my five-minute review on Blessings and Miracles, to, as of recording this episode, I believe, you know, he's... Re-released Oiko uh, Vara as a single. Mm. Um, He's re-released also like another single. He's done two or three live versions and probably even an EP off the top of my head. And, you know, it's fantastic that he's still out there and he's still doing his things. Even Blessings and Miracles, I thought was, there were some very good tracks there, you know. And I guess it's like you were saying about time limitations, back on you know record days when you had something like a 45 minute cap or something and then cds made it so it was an 80 minute cap mm. and then now we're streaming what's a cap <laughs> you know uh a lot of artists these days just go well fuck it i'll record whatever and like i said iron maiden record regular on the regular tracks uh sorry albums that are two cds but that's because it's 10 minutes over you know and it's just like oh come on now you're having us on <laughs> And they're not always good. You don't have to make a full album. You know, just because you have the time, you don't have to fill it. And Blessings and Miracles, I thought, was pretty good. Like, it's not an overly long album. It's not a short one either. But, um, I yeah, I think regarding this, I, I guess we're going into the aftermath of the uh, <laughs> of what we've found throughout all of this. But, you know... There's, there's a lot of things, I guess, that surprised me re-listening to a band, this artist that I thought I already had heard a lot of. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, albums that I thought were 
crap and I avoided for a long time. In particular, his 80s era stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of glad that we did this going on because forced me to go out and listen to the mm. 80s era stuff. And I'm just like, well, I'm glad I listened to that. And then at some stages, I'm like, I'm glad I've heard that so I can no longer have to. But then, you know, Z-Bop is an album that looks like on the cover, crap, and is actually a fantastic mm, album. Mm, mm. You know, songs like Mount Kilimanjaro and, mm. you know, other ones like that is just such a versatile artist when it comes to Carl Santana. Yeah, it's like meeting up with an old friend and just taking off from where it was then, you know, mm. something, um, you know, going back and listening. I mean, I've listened to his albums as they've come out over the years and uh, mostly. Uh, a few mm. of them I probably didn't bother mu- with much, but um, but yeah, now having discovered again some of his more recent material, uh, but going back to the original is, or going back to the earliest, um, mm. yeah, it gives you a greater appreciation and I'll certainly listen to a wider range, I guess, of his material. Yeah, of course. Mm. Well, I'm very glad that we did these uh, episodes regarding Santana's rankings of the albums. And it's so good with streaming services now because you can go back and listen to some of these albums you know, and think, Much well, okay, easier. I probably wouldn't have spent, you know, I mean, CDs when they first came out were 30 bucks, $25, 30 you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you had to be, you know, say, okay, I'm going to buy two, three, four CDs a month, yeah, five, yeah. six maybe. You have to be conservative <laughs> with them. Um, you know, space was another issue. You know, you buy them and, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 physical space. I mean, records, you know, I've still got stacks of records and um, <coughs> I just can't part with them. Um, but, you know, now with with streaming services, um, I mean, where would bands like Dave Matthews Band and Grateful Dead with their live material be with on back on vinyl? You know, like Dave yeah. Matthews Band live, try to find one of their albums under three hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are true. some. I think <clears throat> at Red Rocks or something might have been. A, but, you know, like uh, most of the live albums from that, from those bands like that, Jam Bands, Government Mule, another Government band that I like, Allman Brothers Band, Brothers. they got a whole series yeah. of live. I mean, their albums, two and a half, three hours. Yeah, Grateful Dead, you know, like They're playing in the sand. Well. The, um, well, it's not that's like, um, the other band, the, the tribute band kind of thing, but um, yeah, that that had to be a four a four album set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was looking over. I remember I was I was going back over, you know, something like by the Grateful Dead, and oh god, you just yeah, okay, <laughs> right. pages, yeah, pages. volume nineteen, yeah, yeah Dick's Picks or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, here's the bootleg from nineteen <laughs> uh, from two live in Europe one, live in Europe yeah, two, yeah, live. yeah. You know, you're going through all of that and all that, and that's fine. If you're if you're a massive fan, you're gonna love that. That's cool. I I appreciate having mountains and mountains of recordings, but at the end of the day, you're gonna have whipping posts on every single one of those live recordings, <laughs> the aren't Brothers. you? You yeah. know, or you know, well, yeah, Grateful Dead. Um, can't even think of since Stephen Jam or yeah, um, yeah. Yep, playing yeah. in the band. It, it it gets kind of like I mean, yes, as well as another one. Oh yeah, but. Mm. How many times can you hear Roundabout Live? <laughs> well, Yes did release a whole series. I think it was uh, live in 73 or something, and it's about mm. seven or eight albums. And then to top it off, there's a compilation. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's all together or, you know, just bits and pieces. So you think, boy, you'd have to be a big Yes fan, really, to yeah. listen to all that because some of them are only weeks apart. You know, it's like... Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, my, my, a lot of jazz art. Miles Davis have done that. You know, they've brought out, you know... Albums. This is the this is the Friday night. <laughs> this is the Saturday night. 
<laughs> they're all right. Yeah, they did a couple of tracks different, but yeah, you know, you hear so what on each night. Yeah, and, exactly. uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of blue. Uh, yeah, these guys are so good. You know, the, the, the um, it's there's not much different. I mean, they might do an extended version of a track or two, but yeah, they might be a little bit different in regards to some stuff. Mm. Uh, but you know. And what's the band that was formed uh, post Jerry Garcia, made up of some of the Grateful Dead? Was it just called the Dead? Deadheads or something? No, nah, the, the fans. The Dead. Um, I think they're just called the Dead. And I think John Mayer might have been the. He might have featured. John a, Mayer. John Mayer. M A Y R. Yeah. yeah, I think he. Oh, I think wow. he did some of it, and uh, I think they've got a series of ones called Playing in the Sand. They've only ever done live albums. They've never done studio material. Okay. And I think they've got a series of albums. Um, quite often called playing in the sand obviously a send up of the playing in the band song ah. and it's they're quite good i mean they're again long you know three and a half hours you got to commit yourself to a yeah <laughs> a whole afternoon a long drive, that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah look it's definitely I'm, I'm definitely glad that we went and did the deep dive uh mm. for santana uh made me fully appreciate more of his work there's a lot of stuff out there that i wasn't aware of and it blew my mind when i heard there was a lot of stuff that also was a bit crap. <laughs> that, that's how it is when you've released something like 30 albums, you know. You're not going to have 30 pure, great, purely great albums. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that, that that's just how it comes. Like you know? any artist, isn't it? You know, writer, singer, mm. Mm. musician. Definitely. Some of their material stands out. They usually have a couple of really good hit albums and then, you know, the stuff that comes after may not be that Great, yeah. but still very listenable. That's right, that's right. Well, Was, thank you very much for joining us. That's all right, you're welcome. Yeah, maybe we'll I've do enjoyed a, it, and I've enjoyed visiting my old friend Carlos Santana. <laughs> maybe we'll do a shorter list next time. We'll do Rolling Stones. We've <laughs> 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 got six decades. Yeah, of you could do Dylan. <laughs> that's another one. He's he's been pumping it out non-stop hasn't he yeah, oh. well, he's only on 60 something albums yeah yeah oh, just as long as we leave out his Christmas album <laughs> I think Dos will be thoroughly disimpressed if I... <laughs> that's his favourite he said mm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I am Chili from Liveless and Erased this is Was a special guest yep uh, once again if you haven't checked out the videos in regards to the Santana albums ranked parts 1 and 2 are out now and we also have our podcast Live Listener Race which you can tune in on Spotify and all the other uh, platforms we also have the episode from Live Listener Race episode 5 side C which does contain three bands that I chose for my list and Santana was one of them amongst I think it was Jimi Hendrix and Cream from memory so tune in to that episode to see our thoughts that on that episode we're joined once again by Woz and of course Doz uh, we discuss those three bands and which one will be erased and which one will be watched live and which one we will listen to forever so yep we've got plenty of videos to check out and thank you very much for tuning in to these episodes I know they've been long but I thank you very much for tuning in <laughs> Thank you. Thing on a chain. Chain, chain, chain. Chain, chain, chain. Thing on a chain. Yes, it is.
thank you for tuning in to this episode of Live Listener Race. And if you have enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with all your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our Chili Con Carnage crew so you can get notified for all the future videos that we put out, as we put out videos every Friday. Also, we are on Discord, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter over at Live Listener Race, so make sure to tune in over there. And don't forget to like this video so that our manager can stay very happy.